I'm, I'm with you on almost everything, Paul, but when you say that uh, Armenia deserves what it gets, <laughs> I just, <laughs> what do you mean by that? I mean, I don't feel like I've read enough to be confident, but you feel very uh, I, confident. I feel that Azari saying. dominance is the fate of the global, uh, the global South. I just, I just, <laughs> I have only slightly better foreign policy grasp and positions than the average American, mm. which is to say, uh, I don't know what's going on in Armenia and right. Azerbaijan. It's, yeah. I only know Azerbaijan because of their wrestlers. They show up on the Olympics and just clean house and then go back to the mountains or whatever. I, but I'm rooting for Armenia strictly for the reason that I think like my fourth Twitter follow was uh, James Adomian. He's a great guy, great guy. I I don't know how he found me. I think maybe he literally thought he was following the K-pop performer (laughs) Zhonghua. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the algorithm did there, but, you know, a famous person noticed me, so now I'm I'm adopting all of their their politics. Yeah, their opinions, yeah. 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 All right, so I'm I'm Rob at Dumb and Awful. Um, I'm here with uh, Paul. Adam. Paul, Paul de Revere, are you a full namer? Yeah, full namer, two-time, two-time two guest. Two-time guest, full namer, is it real face on uh, Twitter? Yo. You're basically working for Vox at this point. I'm basically a Fed, yeah. It's, <laughs> you, you don't get Fed energy, do you? Um, at this point, I don't know if people are being ironic or serious when I log on to, to left Twitter. Yeah. Are people still... They're absolutely just calling each other feds all the time, right? But what would you do to deserve it? Have like a normie opinion, basically. What's your most normie opinion? Ooh, most normie opinion. Uh, off the top of my head, U2 isn't that bad a band. Now. Did you have to <laughs> desanguinate uh, Chuck Klosterman for that take? Or is that something where you could just... I had to take his energy. There's just like a crystal that's infused. Like he held it for a second in a swimming pool. And now if you're just... It is nat- has to be a natural body. If form. you just put it in the Excuse bath me. with you, you'll start getting like pretty mid takes on like Coldplay. Yeah. Is that what uh, happened? Or was that the YouTube thing came work? Did it? Were you just listening to U2 the other day? No, honestly, I haven't listened to U2 in fucking such so long actually, but... I don't know, like live, they still fucking kick ass. It's weird. They really are good live. I think everyone's good live. It's exciting. What? It's exciting no. to go live. Who's bad live? Uh, well, they don't, they don't stick around, obviously. But I've seen like plenty of like not very good live. I bands. saw Ludacris live, and he yeah. didn't even sing. He just put on Move, Bitch, and then toweled himself down. It was yeah, one and, of the greatest he, shows I've does, seen. He like hype. A lot of rappers like Ludacris will like hype man themselves, like their own vocal track that's playing behind them. Yeah, it's like great. Move, Way, like that kind of thing. Look, most K-pop groups that achieve excellence are lip syncing most of the song, and when I see Petey Pablo live in Tallahassee doing the same, I think it's only <laughs> fair. To apply the same standard. Paul, what's your Twitter address if people uh, want to yell at you? Yeah, uh, P, letter P, as in master, P. And no, then, you, people thought you were starting with urine. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's the uh, P de Revere. Yeah, uh, P-D-E-R-E-V-E-R-E. It's my real actual government name is Paul de Revere. It's my real actual government name. What's your Rastafarian name? name? Uh, I refuse to answer the question in fear of getting canceled. Have you thought about it before? Honestly, no. If you went to Jamaica on a scale of 1 to 10 and you had to live there for five years, mm-hmm. 
How accepted by the local community do you think you would be mm. after five years? I'm used to the climate. We are both. We're used to that kind yeah. of climate. So I think we would at least not like suffer. You know, like we would, we, we, that would be an edge. To I wouldn't think, accepted. I wouldn't think that suffering was on the menu if I was like, I got five years in Jamaica. Like, I'm not trying to do like the wire south. I think it'll basically <laughs> be fine. I think in general, I would have a positive outlook. Do you feel like on a scale of one to 10, where, where are you? Uh, I think a seven at best. Like I could, I could hold my own. Seven is pretty good. Seven's pretty good. I think I could hold my own. Um, I mean, I have a sense of rhythm, basic sense of rhythm, yeah. and I can probably put up with the climate. I can wear white. I can do a white, wear white. You know? Would you be a, a sort of like straw hat, white shirt, white shorts? Like, like you would be the CIA contact that James Bond meets in Goldeneye? I would like to be like the expat journalist who like everyone trusts and no one trusts at the same time. That's, what, that's the air of mystique I would want. That's pretty fucking cool. I would want to cultivate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why aren't you orienting the decisions you make in life now toward I that know, future I, reality? I know. But see, I, if I were to do that, though, Cuba, 100%. I would be living in Cuba. You'd be the, just getting Havana syndrome, he, smoking cigars. Yep, that's right. I'd, be, I'd, I'd pick up a cigar habit. I would totally do that. Are you imagining like the Cuban court of like back in the day where like writers and everybody would gather there and basically just live off the fat of the land but being expropriated from the hardworking people there? Yeah, like you know Hemingway. I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, like people yeah. like so I have an MFA uh, in writing because all of higher education is a scam. <laughs> and there's a lot of people, you know, there's different types. There's like your Virginia Woolf fans, there's like your Paris girls, you know, mm. and there's definitely a type of guy that's just like, I'm, I'm, wouldn't it be cool to be down in Havana at a writer's conference, just at the bar? Could be anyone there. Right. You know, like may, maybe I'm going to become a spy. You could consort with a Spanish soldier. You could consort with a CIA agent. You could consort. You could have sex with a diplomat. You could, you know, you know on and on and on. Do you feel like you could have sex with the diplomat? Uh, I mean, if enough... Uh, chemicals are involved, I suppose. You wouldn't like be able to get there no, in your sound no, mind. not like a sexy, like... What is it about diplomats? Oh, you'd be, so you'd be intimidated by how sexy the diplomat is. Uh, if it's the kind of... Dip, like, so we're, when I'm here in New York, I'm staying near the UN, actually, and the General Assembly's on right now. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm yeah. seeing, like, gorgeous women of all ethnicities and backgrounds uh-huh. walking down 45th Street. And, like, I'm just like, God damn, like... What, what, what kind of rig and you it's got? fashion week Tel- at the same teles- time telescopic or are we just simple <laughs> binoculars no but it, I think David Cross said this I always think about this when I'm in New York I think that I think it's a David Cross trash joke line. do it do the trash joke do the trash joke where's no. my vape hold on yeah, no, do the trash says, joke oh no I'm sorry it's a Patton Oswalt joke I'm pretty sure where he says whenever I'm in New York and I'm looking at an intersection and I, and I ask myself I see two people going in different directions like do I look at the craziest guy in the world or the most beautiful woman in the world. go, And they're going in different directions. I can't look at them both. I believe that's a Patton Oswalt. That too. is a Patton. The one I was thinking of was the, yeah. the David Cross one about why there's never a reason to be uh, intimidated and to shoot your shots. And he said he saw a sanitation worker just on the <laughs> truck, ever, just whistling, and like, hey, look at you. It'll be an honor to take your trash, sweetie, or anything else you need me to do. <laughs> you know? And he's like, what are the odds that happens? And the character in the story is just like, buddy, not good. But I'll tell you what, you t- if you harass 100 women, one of them want to fuck on a bed of trash. That's right. And you don't know. That's right. So you're really, you feel like maybe you wouldn't be able to, with, without some liquid courage, get to the point where you'd be confident 
hitting on the diplomat. And what I'm saying is when I was looking for apartments right. in New York, I looked Upper East Side, and yeah. you know the trains are sort of on the west bit of the Upper East Side, the 456. And when you get more to the coast on the east, it is a little bit more inconvenient, and the UN's okay. there. It can be sort of burdensome if you drive. Um, and so the prices were a little bit lower, and there were a lot of like what I would call uh, diplomatic immunity fun times happening. Yeah. We just sent some guy back who did, I'm sure, some horrid crime on diplomatic immunity mm. here. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, a couple of years ago, if you're searching for apartments on Craigslist, think of all the countries at the UN. Mm-hmm. I don't want a Donald Trump shithole nation here because I have no assessment of you know, their economic prowess or their long-term strategic goals diplomatically, domestically, or within their region. I have no understanding of that, right? But there's like hundreds of countries that all have to send diplomats. And just like think of your family. If each unit of your family had to send a diplomat, there'd be some cousins that weren't the best representative of your family. Not you sending their I mean? best, right. Yeah. yeah, and you get to some of these small countries, you know. Palau. Palau, I'm sure, are sweet, <laughs> sweet angels, right? Right. But I'm just saying there were a lot of ads that are just like, uh, I visit on diplomatic missions on the UN. Uh, I have an apartment that I'm only using seasonally. The rent is super cheap. All I ask is when I'm in for the UN session or whatever. You just remain living there, uh, fully nude, and do not acknowledge my presence at all. Right. From your perspective, nothing will have changed. Right. But I, completely invisible, will be watching you shower and watch TV nude. These are real ads you'd see. Yeah. And when I saw that, I was like, God damn, like, maybe the diplomats are kind of hard up. I could, we could probably fuck a diplomat tonight if you want to get weird with it. And that's the perspective you need to have. Don't focus on, mm. you know, what is impossible. Focus on what is attainable and build from there. Let's say you fuck a couple diplomats from Georgia. Mm-hmm. You know, you're doing weird stuff. You're learning about yourself. Right. And now you come out of that experience, <laughs> and now you're not Patton Oswalt. You're there just like... Uh, I'm, more like Bo- I'm more like Borat. You're, uh, a Borat situation does not make me horny. You're putting passport <laughs> stickers on, on your belt. You're racking them up. Right. That's Not what I want for you. Notches of different colors of nation's flags, right? That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I actually would. I saw a pin the other day because I'm doing a, it was really, so the UN sells all these like little pins with the two flags of friendship and you can get any right. of them together. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I was looking at buying a, a Poland flag, Basque country flag, <laughs> but when I put it in the site actually, I guess that's like perverted. So they, <laughs> not valid, not <laughs> yeah. a valid pairing. <laughs> well, my girlfriend who's Basque is just like, nobody wants this. There's probably an alarm going off in a factory where right. someone's like, oh, sh- oh, they said that work was done years ago. It's never come up. <laughs> and now they're being called at home because somebody put it I bet there. you the Catholic Church has something like that around. They're both like fucking Catholic fucking societies. Well, I mean, the, the Basques culturally really are the Polacks of Iberia. Okay. I, I think that's fair to say, as long as the door of the bedroom is closed and can't hear anything. I, I did yeah. some uh, some race theory the other day because I was hearing about how the Basque people, like, they actually have, like, an unbroken genome or whatever all the way up back to the Neolithic. Like, they have no, uh, like, transients across Europe. Like, they really went Fertile Crescent to fucking Navarre or whatever. 
Uh, and there's just no overlap with other cultures, linguistically, any of that, except if you go back to the Neolithic, there is a patch of people that are 30% genetically similar to the Basques hmm. in Lithuania. What? In the Neolithic period. And then they're wow. run over by the Indo-Eurasian Indo steppe and all that fucking migration. Wow, that's shit. fascinating. Yeah. They get run over by that and they're gone because they didn't have the natural defenses of the Basques that made it as far to Iberia, right? But that means that technically in the same way that like me and you are related to a chimp, the Basque people, if you go back far enough, <laughs> their closest relative is a Polak, which is what I consider Lithuania. all of Lithuania. <laughs> That's wild. I I really had like this is like we're talking like haplogroups and weird haplogroups and yeah. shit like that. Yeah, like, the, that's the wild. weirdest. Yeah. So I um I, I saw this quote from Earthbound, the video game. Okay. It said that absolutely nothing should be sold for a profit if its absence could kill you. Right. And any modern system where people still die from lack of these resources should be dismantled. Yeah. And I saw that quote, and it I just started thinking. Paul, if you were in a suit of plate armor, mm -hmm. do you think you could beat a cheetah in single combat? Because <laughs> uh, the quote, like so much politics now, that quote hit me, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, obviously true. You, you'd think most people would agree with that, but uh, thinking about this and knowing this brings me no joy and does not cause anything to materialize in the world the more I think about this. Whereas I feel like being from South Florida, I could probably, in a more reasonable timeline, achieve a full suit of plate armor and a cheetah to test yeah. this hypothesis. Absolutely. So could you kill that cheetah? Um, yeah, armor. I mean, I think if I've got the defenses like, like, like you're talking about, and I have, like, let's say, a small blade. Yeah, yeah, I could do it. So you're not going to go hand-to-hand -hand with the cheetah? That's fine. That's fine. Hand-to-hand, no. You no, think hand-to-hand -hand you couldn't take out a cheetah? Uh, hmm. You're in full plate armor. If I'm in full plate armor and I like Have stand on its throat, yeah, sure. They meow. I've seen them at the zoo. Really? Yeah, they're they'll embarrassing. They meow? Yeah, they don't roar. I know they'll purr, but they'll they meow. They purr and they meow. Wow. They're, they weigh like 50 pounds. You could take it, them. Oh, oh, well, in that case, maybe, maybe I could. What if you, you were in full plate and you had a katana? <laughs> Have you ever thought of that in general? This is such an epic third grade conversation. Like, could you fucking like take out a... Yeah, you, I could... My dad could beat up a cheetah. Like... Yeah, well, kind of clearly you didn't have enough of those conversations because I think most men at this point in their lives have an answer to that. If I had plate mail on a katana, what big cats could I take out? Number one, cheetah. That's number one. Okay, yeah, plate mail and katana. A loser's I'm, bracket. I'm, I feel confident. Cat. I feel confident. Yeah, I could. Probably, I'll be honest, a tiger's probably going to fuck you up. I mean, yeah, tigers are like 200-something pounds, what about right? a jaguar? Could you do a jet? Ooh, they're probably they're the worst. They're huge, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's just cheetah. You could take out a lynx. Oh yeah. In plate armor. Yeah. Would you do? Would a you bobcat. go for style points? Would you like reach over on your hip and like turn a quarter circle away and then suddenly unscabbard it in one fluid stroke? That'd be dope. And, yeah. Hell yeah. I'd give that a, a shot. It just cuts at a forty-five degree angle yeah. and it looks at you like what the heck and then it slides off. This you is a tough. See, this is a tough conversation because I'm a cat lover. I'm a cat guy. Uh, I. I, will, I don't want to kill any fucking cat, man. They're so cute. I love them. They're cuddly, unless they're trying to murder you. Do you not step on lanternflies? I haven't seen a single one. You know, it's funny. I've been looking for them. I haven't seen a single one here. They're all over the place. Maybe I've seen them and not realized it, but... You need the, that's on, you need the killer instinct, Paul. No, that's, that I'm fine with. I mean, 
I don't care. Okay. Well, I, look, you're a peaceful guy, so I had another. I had a yeah. question about sort of um, political events that I thought you could weigh in on. Sure. If I'm being honest, like at this point too, like I find news so depressing. Part of why I wanted to talk to you is because like I just haven't been following news mm. and I've felt a mixture of guilt about that. Like, oh, am I just like unplugging for my own, you know, mental health benefit, but I'd be I'd be able to have some sort of control or impact or meaningful action to take if I was consuming more news and up on that. Would that make me better or would that just make me more deranged, you know? And so <laughs> I don't because I see people that are fucking addicted to news. Yeah. And and those people are in this town, yeah. They fucking love that. There's people getting their dick sucked off the power of news. People are like, <laughs> I love the way you talked about that news and brought me that news. I just need one more fucking article, man. I just need one more fucking article, and, dude. And I, and I have to admit, like, when I'm listening to podcasts now, it is just like like an old person leaving the TV on so they aren't so they're less alone. Yeah. Because I don't even want to hear from the news. I am really just like, eh, let's let's see what these fuckers have to say. Yeah, I, I think that's I know, fine. I, I don't know. These guys. Yeah, it's pathetic and lonely. But it's like, look at the alienated world we live in. Like, come on, you're no, you're not, you're not, we're not special. I don't know if it's pathetic and, and and lonely. That's that's the thing. It feels pathetic and lonely. Where you're just like, ha, that Hassan Piker has skewered the queen, and you're like, man, she really had it coming. I um, <laughs> I always wanted to skewer the queen. You know when people are like. If you could sleep with anyone, <laughs> that was my answer. She, in would, high she would keep a secret. She would. She's good at keeping a secret. I don't look from what we know about her. She has no problem hiding those things that she finds personally embarrassing. Ooh we, ooh we. And I feel like God, I, God bless that dame. I don't know where <laughs> she would put me. The options seem to be like private medical center or straight to hell in, in her particular <laughs> royal house. But I feel like you know. The secret would be safe. And I've always sort of thought, like, you know, you grow up in America, especially. There's very little, like, living history. Florida is, like, just yeah. recently built up. Even when you look at it now, it's a strip that's ever encroaching into the Everglades. But that strip is only a few miles wide. Right. You know, like, like development down there. So it's Florida just started developing. There's very little history outside of St. Augustine. St. Exactly, exactly what I was going to say. And, yeah. it's, it's, and St. Augustine's wonderful. And it's, it, it is. And it, and it retreats back into the sea uh, any time Any now. minute now. So like when I went yeah. to France briefly, I was just stunned. Walking around like an idiot. Like, look, the grass is different. The tree's different. The sun looks different in the look sky. Look at these monuments. Look and, at that arch. Look at that. Yeah, you know, literally you know. like the hostel you're in. It's like, yeah. This place almost burned down in 1650 during some riot over something that was yeah. so important and now no one remembers. But you know what's pathetic here in this city, though? I feel living history in this city, which I think is fair. This, it's, this city's one of the few that have it. Few in America, right, in the U.S. Well, like uh, like Grand Army Plaza. Like, I didn't, I had forgotten at all about this. Um, I think Grand Army Plaza is one of my favorite little spots in the city. I love it. I, it's so incredibly beautiful. It reminds me of, it's vaguely Parisian. Not Parisian Parisian, but vaguely. No, we, we've got... Between Washington Square Park and Grand Army Plaza, we've got some knockoff Arc de Triomphe. Some nice arches, some decent arches. Yeah. And um, Grand Army Plaza was built in celebration of the Union victory of the Civil War. And it's got these... Well, asterisk, pending. Uh, right, pending. We'll see right. how that goes. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, but it's in, inside the arch. There's a, there's a detailed uh, statue of Lincoln and a detailed one of Grant on horses, like pointing, doing that. Um, and then I w then I went to the front of it, 
and I saw the you know the the detailed relief of Union soldiers and horses, and I saw what I had read about in the Times in the New York Times years ago, and I'd completely forgotten about it. It is this apprehensive but slightly relieved face of a slave uh, sort of huddling or possibly cowering amidst Union soldiers. And um, I don't know if the Times was just trying to stir shit up about it or other community organizations were trying to stir shit up about it. Both are fine. But it is like this kind of, if you really look at it and really take in the detail, it is question mark of like, hmm, that's still there. Okay, that's interesting. And it's not problematic per se even because it's, I guess it's somewhat accurate. It's a nod to the existence of even Buffalo Soldiers or something like that. But um, fascinating, fascinating little um, plaza to stand at. Yeah, New York actually recently, like in the last five years, the, the council had some debate over and ultimately ended up uh, winning on this that to put markers around Manhattan that show like, this place has culpability with the slave trade. Right. You know, look, they're not like trying to do a gotcha because they would have to fucking paint those markers on every single building south of the Bronx, you know? Yeah, I mean, um, But there, it's funny, you go down like Wall Street now and there's all these little pillars with placards on them that you can, like museum style, that you can read and be like, here's where, this is one of the 34 warehouses where the slaves were kept. Right. Now you can see IMAX films here, and you're like, oh, okay, that's, that's pretty awesome. cool. Yeah. Great. It, over here, Love like, this country. This was where Basquiat did one of his original Tribeca uh, tags. Of course, he had a different name at the time. Uh, also, there are 400 slaves buried here. Right. And it, it's, yeah, it's like that. that is uh, that is history. I'm glad that that passed and they're doing that. It really does remind you how just brutal capitalism and the formation yeah. of all these spires uh, was. There are only two, as far as I know, there are only two places in all of New York City where there are, and they're two of the very few uh, places even on U.S. soil where there are like monuments to slaves that are gone. One is the one in Brooklyn, I guess, the slave monument in Brooklyn, like, I think downtown Brooklyn. The slave ship monument? The slave, yeah, no, there's a prison ship monument and then, I know what you're talking about, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's downtown Brooklyn, basically, I think right? so. Or Fort Greene. Um, and then the other is at the UN, where they have a. You'd have to take a. You have to like go through the fucking checkpoint to like see it. Um, but man, it's really moving. I actually it really knocked me out when I took a UN tour oh, years ago. Uh, and um, I don't know. It it's crazy and fucked up that like there aren't more of those in the U.S. Of course, and how even like but like Jamaica and the Bahamas and Haiti whole fuckload of those statues fuckload of those monuments and um, having gone to the late the great you know Florida A&M University receiving FAMU a, number FAMU. one don't know what's going on with their football team right now but that's <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it right out now. I only yeah. went for the band that's what most people do at FAM it's a good band good dance band so but having getting this sort of you know Afrocentric black education um, I learned that oh wow in these other countries like right here in North America even in Mexico they have like a fair number of these monuments to slaves lost. I don't know. I get a little emotional just thinking about it and talking about it, but like it, um, we don't even know our own fucking history. And it's just like, and much less, and fuck, you know, fuck political education in like a, in a tiny little, you know, woke part or socialist part of Brooklyn or whatever. I mean, that's, and, or Queens, like that's great. But it's, um, I don't know, man. It's tough to educate the masses or like small little parts of the masses. 
or just to even like mention it and talk about it in a casual way without seeming like a scold, like a woke scold. It's hard to like not come off that way. Because you are uh, fundamentally yeah. asking people to feel bad. Yeah. Because that is confront something ugly. It it's it can be difficult to engage with with history. Um, sometimes all, all the time, not that bad if you're you know a a white guy hanging out in Brooklyn podcasting because basically everything has been set up. I'm like, like everything has been set up for you to be in this apartment right now, right, right. despite being intensely mediocre. No one would dispute. But New York city is like the capital of like guilty white liberals. It's basically the United States capital other than maybe like, I don't know, fucking Bay area. As something. it has been, by the way, for, for many, 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 Since the 1800s, many yeah. years. Yeah. Uh, and it's, yeah. <laughs> it's that classical. I mean, like people talk about virtue signaling and all that and how you do feel like a scold, but that's because there are people whose politics primarily is manifesting their virtue through like scoldery. Yeah. Um, abolitionist was, abolitionism was kind of the first time that white folks with, let's say with money, like kind of started doing that but, in U S history, basically. But it didn't move like, it wasn't white people realizing, Oh, slavery is bad. And, and, and scolding people until attitudes change. It was a material basis for that war. But then the, the, the ideal is what we retcon into being, you know, the thing that, that changed everything, right? Like I, when I was in South Florida getting a Florida education, number 50 at the time. That's right. We're ranked number 50. According oh, to yeah. U.S. News and World Report, we're now number three in education. No. Yeah, I looked that up yesterday. I don't buy that. I think it's when, because there's there's a lot of huge when universities that are When it comes to, when it comes are to universities, I, I guess I kind of buy yeah. that. But K-12, through hell no. But so my point is just I remember reading a lot about like, and white people said no more, and they decided to free the slaves. And it's like that white is, people came to their senses. That is like a really good. Oh, I've I've just enlightened myself, and now I'm going to risk life and limb, and and uh, I'm going to take an economic loss in order to make this better world come about. That's right. Arc of history is bending towards justice, and that was never the case. And that's what you see now when why being a scold feels so like gross, especially here in like New York, Brooklyn, because you want people to confront their history, but we have a cop mayor. Yeah. We have broken and a black cop mayor. We have broken windows policing again. Like yeah. we have ten to twelve percent of our public school students in New York City are houseless. Yeah. They're either in the yeah. DHS uh, social services system right. or they are just out there unaccounted for. Any of our liberal mayors, governors, presidents. I mean, we have total, everything is blue all the way down. Yeah. And we see a lot of people. Oh, it's, scold- oh, it's blue. All right. It's the thin blue line. <laughs> My God. Am I right? How does Wink. he, how does he do how, it? How do I do it folks? So just that idea that, that like, Oh, well, if I get people to say the right words and all that, all that stuff is good. But when it's the totality of, of politics, it's just, it doesn't go anywhere. And I think it drives people insane and hopeless and especially now like people don't want to engage with history because they feel like no one wants to feel bad i mean it blows my mind how much people are really like we don't want to teach slavery in schools because that's abuse like using therapy yeah, language, in Florida now we're yeah. traumatizing i saw ucf had a statement yeah. on their university website that this. was about black lives matter just like Hey, you know, we stand with black faculty and students understanding like the traditional hardships and, and systemic right. racism that they face and all that. And if you go and check that page now, it says uh, this essay 
no longer represents the school's official position as per statute number blank 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 right, right, passed right. by the you know, Florida legislature. Literally, yeah. they couldn't. The, the solidarity with black people thing. They had to like low key disavow got legislated. It. It, they yeah. leave it on the site, but it's like this no longer represents. Well, it's the just university. they had to put an asterisk basically to cover their yeah. ass. It's just CYA. That's what a lot of like this. Uh, so much of Florida, having grown up, grown up around in Tallahassee among all these like bureaucrats basically and different state government employees. So much of not just their professional life, but really personal life, is just CYA. It's just covering your ass. And that's what happens when you directly interface with education and government. A lot of it's just like, well, I can't say too much uh, on the mic about this, but da 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 You know, I don't know. I mean, it's – I get it. it in a pragmatic sense, you just don't want to lose your fucking job. You need, to, you need your job. You need money. I get it. There's nothing that can be done. It's just uh, as we spin what, we, what people feel are political actions, just rhetoric out into like the media sphere – and into, like you said, uh, being a commodity, like we're participating in it right now. Commodifying the hang. Right? Yeah. yeah, just just talking words. This what we're doing right now, absolutely it is commodity. Not not politics. It it's commodity and, and low key masturbation, but that's only because yeah. under the table I've been sort of violining <laughs> my legs together. Uh, look, I mean I wasn't gonna bring it up. Um, I'm bringing it up. <laughs> no, no don't ask, don't tell. Uh, but I will say one thing that would, and I'm not saying this is going to happen because of all the white liberal kayfabe that's especially in this city. But one thing I would love to see white liberals kind of get a little less scared about or a little less reluctant about is criticizing uh, like a black mayor who was a cop and is doing fucked up things that directly hurts black people, particularly poor black people. And boy, it would be, I mean, even the DSA doesn't really do it like I would like to see, but, and maybe it's because I just grew up around black folks like so much of my life that I don't feel. I just want to just, just to, to check in real quick. Yeah. Uh, but just, uh, you did have an Afrocentric education. <laughs> I yes. want to make sure. Yes. Before you black people love me. Okay. Um, no, it's just, just straight up. I just think that if you're going to critique, uh, a politician of color, a POC, if you're going to critique a POC for having basically horrible class politics, critique them for having horrible class politics. Just like, just stay focused on that, you know, target. But you know why that can't be done. Like, but it can. It the, can. The it's just Times, people don't want to stick their neck out. Like you're talking about a particular politician here in New York that you know ran on essentially like we need a cop here. Right. We need a cop running things. Got elected on ranked choice voting, which by the way. Long term, if you believe in electoralism, uh, this is like weird. Excel- I don't know what this is. Maybe this is accelerationism. But if the mayor is like a one-term person, right? I, it's probably. Oh God, it, it, this is now. See, now I'm falling into the liberal trap of like, like going like, well, there's some damages, but maybe it helps. You know, a better <laughs> candidate. It's like, why does that? Why is it my job to think like that? No one's. Right. No party is yeah, writing me checks. Stupid. Nobody should have that sort of thinking. But when, when they unveiled ranked choice voting, the big fear was like, this will let the socialists in. We're going to have like a left wave. And the sure. fact that it was a cop the first time, probably probably long-term good for ranked choice voting because it makes it less scary to the establishment in a way that it was a moment ago, you know? Maybe. I just It seems like it makes the whole process less predictable, which maybe is in general good. Good. It 
Look, if you could predict what's going to happen in American politics, uh, you'd make some money just picking the worst institutional outcomes every single time. So anything that shakes things up a little bit, I think on balance, is worth a shot, right? Is yeah. worth it. But so he got it on ranked choice voting, and the Times gave him a chance, right? Mm. And eventually, it was just all the aesthetic signifiers that you know. This month, they wrote, "Is Eric Adams even equipped for this job?" Mm. Uh, not because they had a, a, a trenchant class critique. You can't open that door if you're a, a mainstream publication. I mean, I have both of us have journalist friends that say like, "There is not a thirst for class analysis. There's a thirst for going." You know, the mayor said that there are magical crystals under Manhattan that give it a unique energy. <laughs> New no York other. needs to get his swagger back. That's literally a thing he literally, said. Literally, he said. That he talks in third person sometimes. And that is what the like liberal backlash has been. has been like, this guy's like a, a little Trump, aesthetically. <laughs> Aesthetic. well, to me, he's probably more like Giuliani. I, I think it's going to turn out to be his, his legacy, whatever it will end up being, will be something like a Giuliani kind of thing, where like the post-COVID, like... He's going to clean up the city. He's going to get all the homeless people. He's going to sh- literally drive homeless people literally underground. Um, I love you know. that the, uh, the right spent so long worried about like human trafficking, which is like obviously a, a, oh, yeah. a major concern. Uh, and now the two political parties are just doing human trafficking with their homeless and migrants. Yeah, They've been sending – Texas keeps sending uh, trucks full of people or buses – Planes. To Port Authority or whatever. Yeah, to Port Authority, just being like, here you go. Yeah, you deal with them. We are now as a party trafficking people to your yeah, city. Yeah, like uh, as a tent pole. And then our blue side goes, okay, well, we'll traffic them out of the city and just off of the streets so that our millionaires who are here to have a theme park experience don't have to see them. Yeah. And but mean and meanwhile, the liberals, the you know woke whatever liberal like you know BLM liberals. White liberals are doing this. This is on my Twitter. This I took this. Oh, so what uh, Paul is showing me is a picture <laughs> yeah. where there is a pride sticker, a Black Lives Matter sticker, and then a smile you're on camera sticker at a business. Yeah. And which I put, yeah. Is at pretty a coffee good. shop in Gowanus, by the way. Pretty good. I you know, I don't want to one up here. Okay. I mean okay. I do, clearly. I'm about, just I'm about to yeah, do whatever. That. Uh my favorite the contradiction. My favorite is in Fort Greene, there was a cafe that it said um you know, it had the refugees welcome poster okay. where there's like sure. you know, a guy of vaguely Eastern European or Levantine disposition sure. looking, looking very sad. And at the bottom, it's like refugees welcome. Mm-hmm. And especially, you know, during the Muslim ban, stuff like that. You know, we saw Ukraine certainly has contributed to this. Mm-hmm. All these places putting up, yes, refugees welcome. And this place in Fort Greene had the whole refugees welcome thing on the door mm-hmm. and then right on the window next to it it said bathroom for paying customers only <laughs> that's fucking rules man that, that rules so hard that is like modern liberal yeah politics in a t like in theory i support you know helping out the refugees but if they don't have the money to buy a fucking egg tart here or a, a, a beer or something here, yeah, it, a, an get the, apple muffin, get you, the fuck you can out. shit your pants. Okay, you're not coming fuck. in here. Go to Fort Greene Park, asshole. Yeah, <laughs> take a shit there. Yeah, you can you can go back yeah. to wherever Ocker is now and and piss there because you're not yeah, pissing man. in you know the Sycamore Oak yeah. uh, Cafe. Just a, a constant disconnect be, between purported values and then wanting to actually do anything materially to. Uh, right. Help these people because that would mean uh, accepting that there is a problem 
and acknowledging right. it. It's don't bother me while I'm in my reverie of seeming very conscious and, and, and empathetic and kind. But if you want to use the bathroom, don't bother me right now. I, I don't care if you use the bathroom. Don't bother me. Yeah, it's like I, that kind of thing. I, I don't like that 10 to 12% of children in New York City in our public schools are, are unhoused. But I also don't want to see any shelters anywhere. Yeah, right. I don't want to see any more people. Right. Yeah, a lot of that stuff it can end up being like a genuine trap, like best intentions but not thought through. Uh, I remember we had like ID NYC. If you're undocumented, come register, get an ID. You get, city ID, yeah. You get access to libraries, museums, and, and this works at like city social services. So you can apply for benefits and all that. Yeah, there's a huge backlog for And it everyone for a while. was like, this is great. Just, you know, these people are undocumented. So we're absolutely certain ICE will never be able to get these records. And well, it feels pernicious in its near intentionality. Where it's like, how do you not think further down? It's because it doesn't... Thinking further down would require more changes. We'll get to this with, like, student loans, where it's like, we know there's a problem, we know there's things we can do, but doing them would open up a can of worms that might make the world better and me a little less rich. Poppy just walked out. You said Giuliani did something like this? What was it? Yeah. Um, Sanctuary City... I mean, Sanctuary Cities have always existed. You know, like, San Francisco is the city of refuge in the 80s or whatever, but when that... Uh, term gets coined and widely used throughout the United States was actually during Giuliani's term as mayor of New York City. And his version of a sanctuary city was actually that like, if you're an undocumented person, you can talk to the cops. So like, if you've seen something, if you're an eyewitness to a crime, or you want to report something and the police want to talk to you, you can talk to them as an undocumented person, and they won't report you to the feds to get deported. So that was like the original like widespread use of sanctuary city, which mm-hmm. is completely, I mean, basically completely the opposite of what we have now. Mm-hmm. But it's very funny that like they're using that terminology, like like Greg Abbott and like the red state guys to like ship illegal immigrants off to blue cities as like an election tactic. I mean, it's funny how you, what you got me, what probably got me thinking of is how back then the feds were INS, right? A lot of people forget that with DHS now, it's like memory erase, like that it was called INS then. And INS didn't have nearly the jackboot kind of approach that certainly ICE or CBP does. I'm sure does now. it wasn't a great approach still. No, there was still fear. I mean, we still we, fear. We saw when Biden got in uh, <laughs> and they were like, okay, finally, no more kids in cages, but then still like kids in cages because that is sort of how all that works. And you know what? If a couple Haitian refugees try to make it to our country, We'll go full on early nineteenth century horseback whip them in the water to make sure yeah. they don't cross. To ha- yeah, ha- like the, the, Haitians, yeah. The, the Imperial Haitians, Corps yeah. does not have humanitarian immigration no. policies in any of their agencies. But yes, DHS post nine eleven. A whole other ratcheting up of yeah. the temp- of the temperature, if you will. But here's what I I discovered this recently. Um uh I was reminded of this recently, I should say. Um before INS existed i want to say this is like i want to say this is around the time of operation i don't want to say the wb word but it was around the time of operation wb warner brothers (laughs) um during the eisenhower era uh during the is it called operation w wet b yeah it was actually called that it was actually called that to deport a bunch of like migrant like farming migrant workers they actually that's where the slur came from Operation 
wet. That's where I don't believe that's where the slur came from. I think that's how it came into common. You think that there was somebody? It was, that's how it came into common. Somebody parlance. sitting in the Pentagon are just like. Well, oh, the, I'm, I'm just, I got this great plan. Okay. I'm so bad at naming them, though. <laughs> God. No, no, no. You I, say Pentagon, but this is what I was going to bring up. And I know this is just kind of an inside baseball thing, ultimately. But I think it's interesting framing. Um, the whole uh, uh, reason at, at this time in the 50s, 60s, I think maybe even into the 70s, the the organization that was in charge of these Mexicans or Central Americans coming into the country, it was under the Department of Labor. It was because there was circular migration. It's a bit on the nose, yeah. Yeah, but it was, but it was, it was as simple as like this was before the border got militarized, basically in the seventies with Chesty Puller and like these kinds of people militarizing the border. Who? This guy Chesty Puller. I of all people, I had to learn about him through Malcolm Gladwell of all people. All fucking not Chesty people. Puller, the Marine. Yeah. Uh, well, One more for Chesty Puller doing pull-ups. I remember we had that security uh, guard job together in Tallahassee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We won't say the name of the place. But yeah, yeah, it's fine. Good on them for... for Hiring a bunch of lefties in this Republican, super fucking Republican workplace. Yeah, yeah I'll be honest. It, I, it was wild. A lot, a lot of our hiring... We could have a whole episode with just stories a, from that. A lot of our hiring had to do with how uh, sexy you sounded on the phone. <laughs> yeah. Like Maybe we yeah. had we had a a confirmed bachelor boss. Yes, that was a yes, little a little a saucy. Man. Ooh, that um, man! And he had his way, and he he put some, if I don't mind saying, handsome, deep voiced fellows answering the phone there. Because I I think now that I'm thinking about it, holy, yeah. you're kind of right. Yeah, that's who. That, that's why the women he didn't like as much. Yeah, I mean, for I'm sure he had. Many of his own reasons. He's probably doing a podcast right now that's way more interesting getting into it. Can, can we say is this his first name? Is that all no, right? No, no, no. Okay, no. Okay, Look, fine. he's just a Tallahassee guy. Think of a He's Tal- a Thomasville guy. Thomasville, he, li- he, lived in, he lived in South, yeah. South Georgia. He yeah. had to commute all that way the, the to, listen to, his, to listen to his sexy, deep-voiced uh, satyrs uh, that he would hire. He got into NY Mag. I read the cut for the first time because he was like... Oh, that's right. He did get a lot of New York Mag he, in the office. Was, yeah, in the he, Central no, Station, that, yeah. That guy ruled. Every time I see a, uh, every time I see a, a commercial for like a security company where it's like, we we are watching and our professionals are standing by. We'll we'll get on the intercom <laughs> the polo, and tell the guy diligently. Please don't rob this place. You are under observation. And every time I see that, I'm like, yeah, that's definitely not. Please what don't those rob secu- this place. You are under yeah. observation. <laughs> that's that's not what those security places look like. It, it's just oh, like. God. It's people that are already burnt out at age nineteen, doing overnight shifts, watching the wire DVDs, carpet on, a, on the walls, on a, a the eight inch screen. Yeah, carpet that goes from the floor to the walls to, to the, the ceiling, ceiling. full yeah. insulated. Why? I don't know. CIA level fucking secrets in that room. Totally. Oh, I I love that job. That and job it, is truly the dream. The but, dream. But that's who I. That's where for I learned, a podcaster. That's you can I podcast about, while you're working. Yeah, you could. I we re- basically had unrecorded podcasts. The problem that- was the owner of that company was, and I don't get this. It's one of these like control for control's sake things. Like I need to oh, do yeah, some managing yeah. where it's like I'm watching you on the cameras, and I don't want you. I don't want to see you watching TV or something in case an alarm comes in. Like we're gonna miss it. We're we're doing. We're the number one security provider for the 
pecan fields of southern Georgia. <laughs> for the, for the agricultural in, industrial parts of ain't nothing going Alabama. on yeah. but the same southwest gate trouble signal every <laughs> exactly. single fucking night. Let There's me just so much. Let me watch some DVD. I want to watch Constantine on DVD. <laughs> Nobody is. You know what? If someone dies because of that, like I, you know what? I I own that. Mia culpa. Yeah. No. Was that you who got the Bobby Bowden Christmas card uh, no. talk? I never know. Maybe what? that was Brett. So he he called somebody at like two a.m. who was hammered. He's like, how dare you call me, motherfucker? You want to talk to me about fucking my life? I told you don't call. It's just like, <laughs> you didn't. I you, get Christmas cards from Bob and you, about it. You remember? Brett told me this. Brett told that me That was this. Brett, yeah. I remember that now. And yeah, just yeah, drunk. Yeah. How dare you call me? He's like, I'm sorry, sir. There's a literally, you hired a security company to <laughs> You're literally to a call. key holder, sir. Which, to be, to be fair, like, Brett was not the right guy for that job. Because yeah. handsome, but that voice... With, if there's an, an emergency situation or it's just 2 a.m. and you're hammered and you don't want to uh, be dealing with something, having Brett sort of smarmily go like, well, it says here you're a key holder, so you signed up for this. Yeah, yeah. That's going to trigger you Brett a little bit. Brett had the voice that, that uh, you know who wanted. But, yeah, Brett couldn't say anything without – he couldn't even spell his name to a dispatcher without coming off snarky. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's Brett, B-R-E-T-T. Yeah, I remember he would sit, do that a lot. I'm like, Brett, people know how to spell Brett. Yeah, sometimes there's... It's what does it matter if there's one or two T's? Like, who gives a shit? Like, shut he, up, Brett. He gives a shit. And, <laughs> and so he, he got a call from somebody that, again, the guy was just like, do you know who you're talking to? I get Christmas cards from Bobby fucking Bowden. <laughs> that is literally, in Which hindsight, like, being Twitter-brained now, I can certainly say, that is a three-year Letterman post. That's right. like literally something three-year Letterman. Like, how many SEC championships have you won, son? Like, like who's three-year kind of... Letterman? Is that the oh, fake that, coach? Oh, this is the fake coach guy oh, on Twitter. Great. You've seen that, dude. I that is him. the best account on Twitter because that motherfucker sticks to the bit, and I delight in that account every fucking day. It's like my one true bright spot on the the morass that is my fucking timeline. I love three-year Letterman so fucking much because I grew up around those motherfucking dudes. I listen to those dudes bitch at me and late at night all the time bleeping that out oh sorry shit sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. i'm sorry i'm just going on and on a good co- i would recommend them i just you know three year three year letterman uh, letter three uh, number three three year letterman is just like that that the person who runs that account i don't think they've ever doxed themselves but like that dude or that person 100 lives in the southeast probably like my as of now my guess is like athens georgia um or just somewhere in north georgia and like knows the SEC and probably the ACC in and out and just knows every little college football reference, every little like uh, little niche, like little like cookout and Hardee's, like knows all these little the little references. It's just like it's so I bad. love that. I love look so comedy in general specific uh, better than broad. You know, don't just say some guy if you can add like, you know, a, a funny descriptor or whatever. And I love content where it's like. Two worlds that shouldn't collide are yeah. mixed. You know, yeah. like a guy who's like really good at Twitter, but also speaks in a perfect SEC parlance, college football patois. Yeah, it's great. Like I saw someone it's talk. I saw types someone of guy basically just like displaying a new type of guy, not new, not new to the beautiful. audience, not new to him. It, it's beautiful the the hybrid cultures that Twitter has created. Now it's driven everyone insane, but every once in a while you get a post about you know what fallout. Uh, Four faction? Do you think Julia Fox would be in? (laughs) 
And it's like Brotherhood of Steel, done. Next one. <laughs> Can I offer up? I think I could do all three because I used to actually have this written out like top three moments. Um, you motherfucker. You love saying the name. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, it's okay. I, it just comes off so easily to me. I got, I, got, I got a bleep button in here. I also have a <laughs> button that makes Sebastian Gorka talk. I think it's this one. <laughs> we, we can't hear it. We can't hear it. I, if you just, it. you might have just heard Seb Gorka. So my, here's my number one story. Um, well, I'll give the number two, then I'll give the number one. My number two is... Yeah, uh, build anticipation. Okay, so number... Yeah, so uh, these are the ones I could definitely remember off the top of the dome. Uh, top I the was dome, working huh? with another deep-voiced young man. You may... I don't want to say his name, but you may remember him. I'm sure. Younger than us. Like, a good bit younger than you. us. That's um, the only type... I mean, that doesn't narrow down he, at well, all. But well, yes. Like me, he had, like, kind of Southern like, guy. Southern guy from, like... I want to say he was from, like, Tampa area. He had the fiancé who was, like, 17... Ooh, no, I don't, he didn't have that. I think, uh, I remember he was like, such a specific memory. I remember he would go to Bullwinkle's and get fat girls to buy him drinks. That's one thing he always bragged about. Going to Bullwinkle's. The corrections officer guy? No, 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 no. That's, that's a different S, uh, S name. Um, that guy was cool. I, <laughs> I remember him being that like. That guy not give a fuck. I remember that guy being like 37 and just being like, yeah, so basically I just like. He was way. If he was 37, he was an old looking fucking 37. No, it, it, his thing was like he, he would like dye his hair and go to Bullwinkle's and be like, hey, man, as, as long as the hair's looking fresh, it can happen. <laughs> he's like, when they ask him, like. They're like, oh, you're uh, you're thirty. Uh, and he's like, yeah. Oh, I'm, I know who you're I'm talking 30. about. I know who you're talking about now. Okay, now I, I know. You're I'm talking. just like, I don't think you're fooling anybody. Like, it's amazing the internal world that you come up with to yeah. justify how like you're actually cool right now and pulling. Like it a off. guy who just wants to relive his college years, basically, is who, who that guy was. Look, if you want to, if you're living in Tallahassee and you went to FSU or FAMU, that's that's kind of what you. There's yeah, no escaping. And you're a townie it. now. You just kind of like. It's all, you're always reminded of it. There's people here in New York that, like, I'm so thankful I went to Tallahassee, um, actually. I feel like I got a good college experience, all that, and, yeah. then, and then I left. Yeah. You know, I remember my— Like you're supposed to. My, I had a teacher in high school who was telling us about the various schools. He went to FSU, and he's like, you know what's really cool in Tallahassee? The three things you do in the first week, and then the next cool thing is when you get the fuck out of there five years <laughs> later. It, it's the same shit. I don't know. See, to me, I just growing up there and still being still there, I just had this fundamentally different experience. You and Brett have both like brought, talked about Tallahassee in this way, and I I kind of get it. I like Tallahassee because it's town. Well, it's town versus gown, right? It's that classic dynamic, right? But like, I have a fundamentally town different versus gown. Yeah, like yeah, no, gown that, and that's ta- really yeah. that's I never townies heard that and, before. And gownies, if you will, the townies and the gownies, <laughs> like students versus like locals. Some of the townies wear gownies too, but that's usually probably, with the, probably, a mask yeah. on top and various uses of timber that are no longer socially acceptable. <laughs> only just barely. But like, it's, I don't know, man. It's uh, fundamentally, I, I have this different sort of like, I would almost call it like this chill, porch dwelling, like woodsy experience with Tallahassee. And like, how. But we got Pearson Bolt out there. We got a lot of, I mean, the yeah. socialists out I, there not, are I great. I haven't kept up with Pearson. I don't know if he still he, lives out he's there. He's but... doing excellent. Um, you know, the the Starbucks union is big there. Like, you got yeah, a good We have left... one unionized store at least, yeah. Yeah, you got... The Tallahassee people have always been... It's probably one of the more progressive places in Florida. I mean, that's a low fucking bar. Look, but... I, I, I like it. My point is just um, going and, and leaving can be good too because there's people that go to like NYU. 
Right. I love them to death. We have plenty of friends of mine that are like this. Right. They go to NYU for their college experience, and now they're like 32 and still just in the same routine. Of Do like, they live on St. Mark's or some shit? No, no. I mean, everyone's in Brooklyn now. This okay. is a, a lot of people. But, like, if you went here for college, you kind of just – it's a continuation of that because there's mm. just more bars, more places. You, right. you get into the more crazy drinking nights. and socializing yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, and I like that Tallahassee, I felt like I had an encapsulated experience. I, I learned shit. I had a great right. time. But I didn't get, like – there are definitely those guys. Luke Winky um, – an excellent writer who yeah. just wrote for Hellgate, uh, oh, okay. one of the great independent journalism shops here in New York. Uh, he wrote about guys like going to their colleges mm-hmm. and like checking in on their old dorms. Ah, uh, sad. And it's it's rough. It's a little sad. It's a lot sad. There's, it can be fine. It can be wholesome. It can be what nice. What is the best case? Fine, wholesome scenario. You go to <sighs> Sally Hall. I've seen it so many times at FSU. Is the thing. And it's like, and it's just like you have a moment where you have a nostalgia, you have a nostalgia moment and it's fine and you don't dwell. That's the most important thing. You don't dwell, right? You don't uh, wax, you know, rhapsodic too much. You're not too intense, right? And you don't dwell too long. And, and, you know, you just have, and, and your reason for being there isn't to be nostalgic. Maybe it's, you know, to go to a football game, like, you know, classic Tallahassee shit. I think the, the issue is the, you don't dwell on it. Well, if if you went, if you're a gown to town person, sure. you literally dwell there. You, you yeah, live sometimes there you can't help it. It's yeah. just I feel like yeah. it would be too seductive, and I would be. I see the trap. I hope it's making those guys happy because there are a lot of people that go to Tallahassee and never leave because yeah, it just. Like, I know a couple of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes they're re- they're really cool people. I mean, one of my favorite bands to this day is this band called Mira, M-I-R-A. They're on Apple Music and all the streaming. That's my favorite uh, operator in Rainbow Six Siege. Do you think they're related? (laughs) Probably not. But no, uh, but Mira is this this incredible shoegaze band who formed in Tallahassee, formed around FSU. And they still do re-releases and B-sides. They still like kind of draw out their catalog and stuff. They haven't put out anything new in a while. But uh, one of their lead singers just moved back to Tallahassee after being away for a long time. Um, And... I don't know. It's just one of those weird niche things where you'd have to live there and have to be in like a social scene or an artistic scene in Tallahassee to like know this band or to like understand why this is awesome, I guess. But I mean, I don't know. Everyone has their niche. Everyone's got their thing, their scene. Tallahassee, I will say, is better than South Florida oh, yeah. because you get some of the old South and not just like the absolute chaos. God, I, New York can't, I can't wait shit. to... Yeah. to defend my home with a 50 cow from the roof <laughs> if anybody yeah. is playing basketball too loudly like <laughs> south south florida sucks it's also like hard to get arts and culture down there both because mm. it's go, some, go, but, I, yeah. I know go with me here okay okay i mean access to it logistically so if you go okay, to like yeah, yeah, yeah. winewood and, and around miami great art scene although i will say the dsa refused to give me a shirt they, they, you know, had some very Those talented. cool Miami DSA logos. Yeah, I was like... Oh, they're so badass. It's like the best graphic design in all of DSA. I'm like, you know what? I'm on the fence with DSA and electoralism, but I'll very happily uh, rock this around for Florida and, you know... A, a flamingo with, like, Democratic a Cuban army socialism. cap and shit like that or something yeah, corny I'm, like that. I'm it's willing great. to rep that, and they wouldn't send it to me. Oh, uh, okay. And it's just like, well, to what end... But so you have like arts and culture there, but a lot of it is like art basil, where the basil, art is right. second to being seen at it. 
Right, to be, to be rich and to, like, afford art. Yeah, everything is, is like, flexing down south. Money is first, and oh, yeah, art is just is another accoutrement. That, that's so important to understand for people listening who have never been. South Florida is the most it's transparent. It's the flex capital of the world. Literally nobody cares 100%. about anything except how much money you have. And what kind of car you drive. I'm telling you, like, I, I live in New York. There's no place worse than Miami no, for that. No, New York, even, even New, I agree with you. Even New York isn't as flexy. Like at, at certain, at certain, and it, of course it like it depends on your little need. Of course, like Midtown or something like that. But like all, it's like all of Miami Beach and like all of Raquel or like all even Wynwood is flexy a little. It, I mean, um, it, it all is. That's that's like when people talk about like political stuff and, and their behaviors and beliefs. It's like yeah, but all of us are still Americans at the end of the day, right? You know, if you're from South Florida and you're an artsy person, mm. you, you do what you can. But it's so mediated by like capital and just transparent and flexing value and, proposition and of how sprawl, much money. suburban sprawl. Well, because if you look at, to do a little materialist analysis uh, to the, the viewer, I'm doing a wanking motion <laughs> right now, being very charitable with motion, my, with my grip size here. Uh, and it, in New York, you have the traditional like development of arts and culture, which is you have a, a bourgeois surplus that accumulates, gives the elites more free time Right, they don't actually have to be shoveling shit, so you can start to get into poetry and song and all this. I'm talking like medieval courts type shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that accumulation allows for these things to flourish out of it over time, and then those set up cultural institutions that become self perpetuating. Blah blah blah. South Florida had no dollars, like no maidens, zero dollars, no hoes. And then in the 70s and 80s, the famously, if you you've seen Cocaine Cowboys, right, of I course. assume. Billy Corbin is fucking king. He's he's great. It's all about the U. Is a banger song. Even if I don't, Uncle Lou, great man. I don't like his team, but great intro on Cocaine Cowboys with that one. Um, that movie gets into how all of a sudden the drug trade coming out of Central America and the Caribbean put like more cash in South Florida than the banks knew what to deal with it. Like I would I would if I had to put it in a, in like a comical metaphorical way. I would uh, describe it as, you know how uh, when someone's really sick has like a bunch of inf- uh, inflammation or, um, oh, those recent photos of Prince Charles and his hands are all like ballooned up and sausage stuff. So That's weird. what happened to Miami's economy with like drug, drug, cocaine flow money. Yeah. It was just... I can't, I'm not going to have the stat. Miami was swole. It was some shit where it's swole. like there were more banks... Per square mile in South Florida than there were in like the Caymans or something. Yeah, no, but I mean or like Delaware, or maybe it was by volume. <laughs> it was some shit where like Fort Lauderdale had more banks than like the entire South. Like yeah, one of those I, insane things. No, that wouldn't shock me. So there's yeah, all yeah. this cash, this exogenous cash that that came in, established itself through you know real estate laundering. Frankly, like construction and tourism have always been the big two for Florida. And then after the fact, almost as like an add-on as like an amenity as a thing to like spend money on art was sort of like, should we have art? Yeah, I guess we'll, I guess we'll have art. We can, we can hire some money there. Yeah. So there, there's yeah. no like, and there's no like in, indigenous I'm using in like the bourgeois accumulation, cultural development way. Right. There's, there's no indigenous there. So it really does feel tacked on in a way that even if you go to LA, you know, a, a newer place, arguably in terms of American settlement, uh, there's just like more of an interest. There's less people in Miami. You don't even have to fake it. There's not even an expectation that you should care. It should just be like I remember. Uh, pickup artists love Miami. 
Because they place. could just go to the art place. events and know that nobody there knew what the fuck was going on or right. cared anyway. They were yeah. also just looking to be observed, looking good. So it's like a PUA home. There's that, um, there's that uh, I guess, sort of um, radical liberal talking about white people don't have culture. They never, they never really had culture, in, at least in America. I would say I always think about that about South Florida. Like South Florida doesn't have culture. Like it doesn't have native or indigenous or whatever you want to call it. It has culture. whatever baseline like white American culture is turned all the way to like redlining where the audio is now cracking. But but then but then on top of that it's like basically every super rich expat from the Caribbean and Latin America, they also bring it, right? And then they turn that up to try to get over the noise of the, the suburban din, right? That you're talking right. about, right? And so, and so, then you have it's like a it's like a sound clash, right? To use a Caribbean term or Jamaican term, right? Like it's, That's so a it's Jamaican like, term, sound clash. Sound clash, yeah. What does that mean? Sound clash is when DJs try to like out sound each other, like out volume each other in like on the streets of Kingston or whatever, you know, hypothetically. Um, and they're like trying to play the music they like louder, basically. Sound clash. Damn, I think you might be an eight if you make it to Jamaica. Yeah, I mean, I would fit in. Uh, I, that's seven. why I said that's why I said a seven because it's like, yeah, I know what a sound clash is with your Afrocentric education. Afrocentric education, and, correct? And yes, hip hop lexicon. Yes, I, I think you could do it. But yeah, so South Florida. When I say like, I, of course, there's people in Winewood. Of course, all like immigrant communities come and they have their own like culture which they hold on to. But generally, but they're cranking shit up. Yeah, that, I think that if anything is the nature of the area, it's just whoa, like put it in the red. You know, what's well, also like you know some of the, those migrations are were like reactionaries with a good amount of money coming over here. And that informs, and when you combine that with like the American hustle grind set shit, you have like, you know, Cuban culture is, is great down there. That Cuban culture is very like super duper, duper like, yeah, family and all that, but also like get, get paid flex. Like the ideal is you'd get a nice sports car and be entirely bland. But you know, what's an exception to that. The more I go down to South Florida, the more I'm reminded of this, uh, Haitian Americans who come from their country and make a life in Broward or whatever Broward to date, maybe even Palm Beach if they like move up to the east side, moving on up to the east side, if you will. Um, you know, Haitians That's are, a, uh, a Haitian culture is not like that. I mean, they're 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 lively and they're celebratory, but they don't come to America and like flex all crazy. Not like you know, like well, like Cubans in South Florida have. Hey, I have never, I'm sure they exist out there. And I've said this on Twitter on like a space with like Grimm and stuff like that. And I I stand by this. I have never met a Haitian in Florida that has like terrible politics, reactionary politics. I've never met one. I'm sure they exist. I know, I know there are conservative, socially conservative, religious type elements in that culture in those communities. I acknowledge that, but I don't think I've ever met a Haitian American that has like terrible politics. I mean, I've met part of that. Haitians are fucking awesome. I love them. Well, I was talking cool to people. David cool Garcia, um, who buy his book, God Who Riots. It's a good book. Uh, if you don't like it, I don't know. Uh, I'll, let me know, and I'll, I'll fund it for you. I'll buy the book off of you. It's an excellent book. I can't, can't pitch it any harder. But he talks about how, like, oppression literally brings you closer to the kingdom of God. Mm. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, you could read theory all day, yeah. but still behave like basic american liberal asshole that you've always been you, you have a better ship in a bottle in your head right you can convince yourself that no no, no i'm i i have the good politics um but actually living and having to put up with what the haitians have had to put up with in south florida and the caribbean 
just historically, like like yeah. writ large, you're a lot closer to uh, sort of those predatory dynamics, and you have sort of a, a you don't need any books to have a clear eyed look at how fuck things are and how community really is going to be the answer because no one else in fucking South Florida is. Um, one one of my favorite uh, current South Floridians, Philip Agnew, one of the founders of Dream Defenders, my home organization, uh, lefty organization in Florida, probably the most radical Black Lives Matter organization in Florida. I talked about it last time I was on the pod. Yep. yep. Um, Philip Agnew, uh, when he was actively working with the Bernie campaign and, and was kind of more prone to the online lefty discourse, probably in his Twitter life, he said, um, you know, growing up on the south side of Chicago, like he did in like the church and um, and li- just living the life he lived, I won't give, it's on him to give details. I won't, I, I won't speak for him, but he basically said that the, that these moments of crisis in the black community, in different black communities and, uh, you know, but you know, Martin Lee Anderson getting killed at a boot camp in Florida. This is like pretty deep cut for like Florida, uh, pre BLM mo- kind of these moments in Florida, Martin Lee Anderson, and of course, Trayvon Martin, seven years later, real extrajudicial murder heads. No, yeah. yeah. Real extrajudicial murder heads. No modern day, modern day Jim Crow lynching heads. No. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the real nard war of police killings. Yeah. <laughs> he'll, he'll find these. Nard- <laughs> we have to know we have you, you, you're Martin Lee Anderson. We have to know. Yeah. You, God, that's you, dark. That's dark. You man. parked in a Walgreens parking lot for longer than eleven minutes without announcing <laughs> Blasting yourself your stereo. To, the, to the yeah. sheriff. Yeah, we, we have to know. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. But no, I mean, you you go to Martin Lee Anderson or Jordan Davis, and of course, people, oh, the whole world knows about Trayvon Martin. But anyway, what do you know? What do you know about UPS? <laughs> oh man, you knew about that UPS guy that they lit up on I ninety five. Frank Gordonias. I, I remember. That, by the way, that's a reference to uh, a UPS guy got taken hostage at like Christmas ju- around Christmas twenty nineteen. Yeah, I so believe. a couple guys broke yeah. out into a jewelry store, not trying to kill anybody. Uh, it, it went wrong, so they went ah uh, fuck and ran out of the store, jumped Hi- in a UPS truck, right. and Hijacked just like just yeah. just drive. Um, and they went through God knows how many police jurisdictions. Yeah, just, on on ninety five North, just, yeah. just driving through collecting uh, every dumbest person I went to high school with. Uh, you know, o- o- over each jurisdiction. And then rather than, you know, just keep the five helicopters in the sky and wait for it to run out of gas or whatever, they decided the way to handle this was every cop get out every of the Every cop in the fucking Tri-County inter- area. At an intersection and just fire like 300 bullets into the air. Kill the driver, kill injured bystanders. Just, yeah. In the yeah. middle, this, in the is, middle like of a, 95 this North. is like a five-lane mega intersection. Yeah. And they dude. just fucking lit him up. The guy tried... That to me is like so quintessentially South Florida. The guy I can't, tried yeah. to get out. Like they, they're shooting shots and he goes, now's my time. I'm going to crawl out the stairwell dodge the bullets like they they killed one of his captors yeah. straight away it's like i'm gonna crawl out as soon as he crawls out the cops like i see another one and just bah, 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 ventilate bah, bah, bah. Him. yeah yeah and frank ordonez you know he was a he was a teamster member uh in particular and i remember national teamsters twitter account said um it's very sad conclusion and we but we thank the police for their service and Terrible. then the teams yeah i know and then some teamster locals were like no fuck the police <laughs> some of the teamster locals spoke up and I think uh, I think Teamsters National actually deleted that post um, because it was just such a thing. But yeah, now yeah. So, so that is such. I think that is such a perfect object lesson for how in fucking insane South Florida is. And to that's your, why and that's why Tallahassee's better. All right. So uh, yeah, I think the reason why the Haitian community in South Florida is so awesome 
is yeah. because they have that material reality, unfortunately, thrown in their face at all times. I mean, it's them getting whipped on the challenge coin that DHS right. put out under Biden. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, South and Florida, also the history, and also that deep yeah. well of liberation history to pull from. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the black Polacks of... <laughs> That's right, you know yeah. About, yeah. I remember, uh, can I say, listening to this podcast is the only reason I know that, that uh, I can't remember the name of the town in Haiti, but I, I looked it up. Kozaloo. Kozaloo. After Kozalewski. Right. And I did not know Polish Haitians were a thing. Had no clue. There's like a, what, a couple thousand, I guess, in the country now to this day. But that, and they're like much lighter, fairer skinned, obviously. They probably get referred to in the country as Creole or something to that. Maybe legally they're Negro. I don't know. There was that whole thing at the end. They're outset. what? <laughs> That's still the terminology they use today in Haiti. It's like, I can, if you can believe it. But um, the legal terminology. But um, no, but I mean, so many, uh, I mean, in a sense, man, the the term Creole and how it's used in different countries and particularly in South Florida and in Louisiana and New Orleans, for example. Um, Anyway, my point is, is that I I think the Haitian American community kicks ass and the newly, uh, I'm trying to remember her name, Charmaine or something or other. She's the first Haitian American or the second Haitian American in Congress. She was elected in a special election in January. Um, solid progressive Democrat, uh, definitely better than Alcee Hastings. Um, so again, Haitian Americans, they're, they're coming through. Well, so, uh, they're great. Uh, anyway, all, all this is, is to say, uh, of course there's culture down South, but logistically, but you know, it's more mediated by, by capital and flexing and logistically Tallahassee doesn't have the long ass dick of the, of the peninsula where when people are touring, They'll hit Tallahassee. They'll seldom take the seven-hour trip down to do Fort Lauderdale, Miami. And then oh, you're talking about like hours. bands? Turn- yeah, yeah. 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 Like, Tallahassee had good shit going for it. No, it does. And, and this is what – and the, the good shit and the eccentric uh, southern charm, I guess, uh, that of the region and everything is what contributes to these two, these two alarm company stories that I wanted to tell. That's okay. what I'm looping you back to. Okay, yes, good. So number two is uh, – when I was working with this uh, guy younger than me, and he's got a real deep voice. Again, you know, our bosses, you know, harem of deep voice uh, young men. And, uh, you can call them studs. I think that's stud, fine. Studs. said studs. And uh, I remember he's just go, he's just, this, this guy is going through the procedures of what we always do. Call a key older, wake someone up in the, in the middle of the night. It sucks, but it's the job. And... Um, uh, this is a key holder who absolutely does not want anything to do with the, us going down there and unlocking the door for police. And so for the first time, for the first time that like this is the first, I think it's the only time that ever happened with him. Uh, the guy was like, let me talk to your supervisor. Like he's mad. Right. And I'm essentially the shift lead late overnight. I'm the only really person, to, other person to talk to period. So, um, and I have, you know, seniority on him, on this guy. So he says, uh, he says, Paul, you know, this guy wants to talk to you. I pick it up and like, Hey, this is Paul. I can help you. And he says, um, he's like, this guy's calling me, telling me I need to go down and blah, 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 blah. You know, redneck guy. And he says, uh, is that a black fella? You'll get a black fella working there. And I, the calls are recorded. I can't say shit to this guy. I want to. I can't say shit to this guy. So I literally turned the phone up and whispered in the tiniest whisper I've ever whispered in my mouth. I go, wow. And, and I go down, and I'm, just, I'm meeting this guy with just stony silence. And he stammers. He goes, I, I'm just asking. <laughs> I just want, that was a, this is why I don't say the name, because there was a real concern. I remember we'd get technician calls where it's just like, 
I just want to be clear that you sent uh, a black fellow into my home with my wife unaccompanied right. to root around. That's and, why we and, didn't have a lot of black techs. Yeah, you know, because the, the market dictated it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But even just having a, a – if you're just a guy with a deep voice at Georgia, Florida, someone would mistake you for black on the phone even. I mean, like, it's just like that's, – that, that's the kind of dynamic we were fucking dealing with. You knew – did I you mean, hear uh, our boss – so I had, like, the, the deep voice, but I've – I've also had a, some people find my voice uh, very irritating, more when they start to accept and interpret the content. I mean, that's not doing me any favors, you know, right, right. but just the style, the, the timber of it. Some it just can come off kind of douchey. So our boss told me that one night I was sort of fucking around and, uh, you know, you call people late at night and if you sound like Brett, you're like, uh, excuse me, sir. Uh, you have been listed as a key holder, and no one wants to hear that. So uh, I just started doing like a, a southern accent, which I can't do now. I've been out of it so long. I, I would I would put that on from time to time. It's so it's easy as hell for me. People yeah. will. I mean, if you call up and say hello, sir, but if you're just like, yeah, well, you probably already know what <laughs> you know what time it you, is. You know what this is about. They got the goddess the southwest. Yeah, man, I know. I know. I I've seen here the southwest uh, gate. That's always what it is. Now, do you it, want me to? You want me to send uh, uh, some officers out? Or you should let this dog lie. People are like, <laughs> let this dog lie. I really, I, I'll, I'll tell you what. I pre- I appreciate you you looking out. You know, I was late at night. You know, I think we're gonna let this one go. I'm like, all right, thank you, sir. And our boss heard me doing it once, and he's just like, does that get a, a good result? And I was like, yeah, kind of. And he's like, you can keep doing that if you want. <laughs> I and so remember, I, I just did, just calling people up, just letting them know. I remember there was a guy's name. God, I know we're not supposed to say names, but there was this guy's name you loved saying. Um, say it, I'll just bleep it, was it? Yeah, right. <laughs> he was always really cool on the phone. He would never get mad at us. He was a really nice guy. Uh, this guy's name was... Oh, one of, his, one of the key holders. Yeah. And you would say his name like... <laughs> Yeah. When you were the phones were down. Yeah. <laughs> and I still think about it from time to time to this day. You and should. start cracking up. It's and I just it's oh God. It's, it sounds like a character on Justified. Yeah. <laughs> like that's it, that it is a character name. on Justified. <laughs> yeah. That, that's why I liked it. Yeah. It's just anyway. So you you needless to say, anyone who's listened to this podcast for any amount of time knows that you and Brett and me in a workplace together, God God help. God knows, all three of us in a boring little central station together. Just not allowed to watch TV, sneaking, sneaking uh, a look at the approval matrix in the back of NY Mag. Yep. Just being like, well, what is uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal up to today? <laughs> what is what is a uh, what 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 uh, disgusting shit is Paris Hilton uh, promoting? And uh, how is New York Mag gonna trash it or something? But, so, it was about that right that time. Of, I, I just, I, I loved working there. That's why when you said uh, Chesty Puller when talking about the border. So we had a Marine there that was like. The guy's oh. name wasn't Chesty Puller who'd militarized the border. No, it wasn't Chesty Puller. Puller was the guy during like World War II or one or whatever where he was the I older. The guy he was an older there. Marine and his thing was always like, always, oh. always do more. One more for oh Chesty God, Puller. Yes. Oh my God. I worked with him no, the it, most of anyone. Oh God, I don't have to bleep that out too. I'm not fucking with that guy at all. Oh, he's dead. Is he? He's got to be dead. I don't think. I, that, that guy was 100% a COVID denier and COVID probably killed him. Maybe. 
That's what I think happened to him. He was just awesome. Like he worked with. He the, was no. He was the. He was a racist piece of shit, but he was cool as fuck. I'm yeah, sorry. he was. He was so cool. Well, it's just like it, it's like you were in the Kubrick film. Like he was just drone instructor yeah, yeah, at yeah. all he, times. He walked like 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 bow legged, like with his like that. He wa- like he walked like a fucking marine. He would. He's one of those guys that he would Lysol his workspace. Oh yeah, like when yeah. he arrives, so he doesn't have your your filthy child germs. He did it consistent. He was consistent about that shit. He was great, but you could just tell him because there's an army ranger guy, and they like rib, but it's the sort of ribbing where he's like, "But I hope you don't mean any of that about the U.S. Marine Corps." <laughs> and like, if you're like, "Can I leave? I want to leave early. Can you just take? It's just one more hour. Can I just go home? Can you take my shift and be like?" You gotta wait for your relief. You son. work, you work, you work the job until your relief comes. Right. And I'm like, come on, you got an extra hour in you. He's like, I work my shift and I get mission accomplished. And you could just be like, come on, one more hour for Chesty Puller. And he'd be like, <laughs> God damn it, Chesty would do it. And he would just that's all it took. <laughs> I remember that dude would just knock out push ups and pull ups. So this I remember one thing that he and I, this Marine guy, and I always bonded on though was we would ride our bikes to work. I had a much shorter distance. He had a much longer distance. He was too. doing like marathons every day oh, on his fucking this, bike. Oh, this dude was, yeah, Iron Man. He was like doing on some Iron Man drunk shit. and just fucking ride the bike. He's incredible. No, he's incredible. He was truly incredible. And I remember when he would, he would arrive like sometimes an hour or more ahead of the shift, which is what you're talking about, how like, hey, just relieve me early. Like you're talking him into it, right? Yeah. So he would, I remember he would go to the back and basically just pro- I never looked at what he was doing because I wanted to give him his privacy, but I guarantee that guy was taking like a military shower, like a sink shower. I guarantee you. Because he, he's sweaty on the bike. I get it. But uh, I guarantee you that guy was just like kind of doing a me- – uh, that's a racist term. I'm not going to say that. Um, but like a military, like, like, a, wow. like a de facto like military shower. And, you just uh, went Operation MS, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Operation WB. You think DARPA uh, created that too? <laughs> I mean, of all the stupid divisions, like there being yeah. a government division for new racial slurs. I mean, they did. A good I want to work there. <laughs> Honestly, I want to work there. Florida would would really prepare you. There's some yeah. Florida comics that talk about touring the South, and you know these are stand up comedians working clubs. These are like reactionary right wing, literally racist guys. Oh yeah. And he'd say he'd work like clubs in Alabama and use you know a, a racial term or slur, and people would be like. What are you talking about? Like we're Alabama and we've never there's you have a racist term God. for cashews. <laughs> the uh, the the uh, the the big and macadamia. That's a real nut. one. Yeah, yeah oh, that's real. Nut. I know exactly yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, it's just Florida has been. In, that's the only thing Florida innovates on. Yeah. When Mississippi is just like, how do you fuckers? That's the melting pot. We're coming up with never before seen slurs out of this spot. Shout out to uh, the government for woke. That one really... The Stop Woke Act. That does seem to just be the N-word now, where it's just mm-hmm. like, anytime someone sees a black person in media, they're just like, oh, it's some woke shit. Some woke bullshit. It could literally... This black guy's in a suit and tie? Don't feed me that woke bullshit. It could bullshit. literally be like a movie about like the Iraq War, and the guy's on SEAL Team 6, and it's just like, huh, more woke casting. And it, it, they see the Little Mermaid thing, and they're like, look at that, a woke Ariel. And it's like... <laughs> Don't know that this. <laughs> you're just using a replacement word here. Like yeah, I, don't, I don't hear like liberals use that term at all. It is just right wing capture now. Bill Maher says "woke" at least five times every show. I don't know if that counts for liberals saying it on account oh, yeah. of he's Bill Maher, but 
He definitely says it, and it still probably actually falls under that criteria now that I'm thinking about it. Yep. That's right. Yeah, like, That's right, uh, who was that guy that talked about that famous speech about how you don't say the N-word, you say, like, tax freedom or whatever? Lee Atwater. Yeah. The Reagan. Lee, Lee Atwater would love uh, woke the as a term. Woke is a new buzzword, yeah. Yeah, it, it really, to quote Lacan, which I do frequently, yes. but tone, tone back for the list. So did Lee Atwater. Yeah, big fan of the letter reaching its destination, and Woke certainly has. <laughs> okay, so what, what's your, uh, what's your right, so final... No, my number one story, uh, uh, it's honestly not even funny, um, but it's, it, it's, it's actually pretty fucking funny. So uh, every once in a blue moon at the alarm company, we would get someone calling in from an address that we had monitored, but they didn't continue the service but they would call to ask us, what do we do with this equipment's going off? What do we do? And I'm like, my dude, we can't help you. You don't pay for our monitoring service. Like, I-, I can't even talk to you. Click. We could, we could hang up. The only people we can hang up on, really. Um, and so uh, if you know anything about Tallahassee, Myers Park, a very you know, wealthy, uh, wealthy neighborhood and you know, whatever. So one of those, these wealthy households in Myers Park called me. Uh, and um, it's this old lady. And I... She's she's the alarm's blaring. She's on the phone with me, just trying to like shut this thing off. She's like, "Can you shut it off?" That's the number one thing we get. Can you shut it off? I was like, "No, I can't do that from here. That's not how it works." And um, this old lady on the phone with me gets more and more like plaintive and crying and desperate. And then she explains to me that like my husband, uh, um, you know, uh, ran this. I have no idea how to work it. And as she gets more and more like aggrieved by the noise and me not being able, even being able to help her. She tells me that her husband, she's a widow. (laughs) She's a widow. Her husband's dead. And basically, I mean, I'm on this call for at least 20, 30 minutes. And I feel so, I just, I had every right to hang up on her professionally, but I just, as a human being, I really couldn't do it. And you're like a vulnerable woman, huh? Let me, so he's not around to do anything (laughs) anymore. I could, a little off book. I could probably visit and turn that thing off. <laughs> Imagine having that conversation just with in the background the whole time. No, so so at one point she's screaming over the noise to me, saying like, "My husband is dead. My husband is dead." And I'm on the and I'm trying like I'm holding the phone like away from here, and, and I just don't even know what to say to her. I feel so terrible, but it was such in hindsight and kind of even in the moment. It was so comically tragic and uh, annoying and just like this enormous bother and this enormous trauma, frankly, in the middle of my shift where I'm just like, this is just so absurdly like a fucked up situation that it's just like, this is almost funny. I I can't, she can't do anything. I can't do anything. This is life. Anyway, that's my number one. That's my number one alarm company story. That's like... That causes despair in a way that wasn't normal for that, that job. Yeah, because the job is mostly boring as fuck. Yeah, mostly yeah. boring, and then just having conversations with people that... You never thought you'd ever have. You, you know, <laughs> with the when, kind we're, of people when we're talking a, a bit ago about, like, you know, education and, and people having an appreciation or even acceptance of history, like, I do think sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful for, you know, socialism will win, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a guaranteed. It's going to take a lot of work over many, many years, right? 
generation. So, yeah, generation. It blew my mind when people were just like, luxury, gay, space communism. <laughs> and they we'll really win. think like that's in their lifetime. Like everything else, uh, like this is what we're talking about being like an American, right? A consumerist. Right. Everything else you get into has some sort of payoff. You know, it's, it should be like, well, now what do I get out of it? And I genuinely... I could not understand people that were like, yeah, yeah, probably in my lifetime, America is going to... Yeah, luxury gay space communism. And it's just yeah. like, it, it's not. Because you talk to, to people out there, and like you got a real cross-section of the panhandle, I'll put it that way, yeah. taking calls there. And it's just like, these people are never going to be okay with their kids being taught that like slavery exists. There's never going to be any reckoning with that stuff like like people are so standoffish over everything people are yeah. so like this this is i'm a rugged individualist over everything and take any uh even implication or insinuation that you know maybe you're not directly culpable but you you benefit from this like you are a part right. of this people are aggrieved when you call them on an alarm call that they asked for like right. that inconvenience, it puts them in a rage. Yeah, telling just, them just like, that level of inconvenience in the middle of the night, yeah. Telling them like, hey, do you want to uh, uh, take a look at the history of America and, and sort of use that as a rubric for... Can we have like an honest and frank conversation about something difficult historically? And it's just... Fuck no. No. Fuck no. And, he, and it I, makes I, me despair that it's just like, these people are not going to get to a materialist analysis because they're not even going to agree with your assumption that... Uh, America has problems that could use solutions because a government intervention and b I don't want to admit that America has fuck you. This is the one good thing I have. USA number one. I'm not going to accept your premise. I mean, when you're pulling down like, hey, black people are basically okay off of your University of Central Florida like African American <laughs> Studies Department, yeah. they can't even say like, yeah, black people have been oppressed. If you can't even get that through then it drives me insane thinking about all the ship in a bottle, like theory crafting. When I log on and see people like, oh, uh, our, our FedEx workers and baristas proletariat. It's like, what is the point of any of this? This has zero chance. You're of, talking about like just two different discourse and social universes. I know, obviously. but the, the people who think they're like doing the work of socialism or like thinking the hardest about it are also people where I'm just like, I'm not even sure we're at a phase no. You know, of course, generally, you don't want to just cosplay the early 20th century as like, and that's how we're going to do it again. Like, you should take a materialist analysis and, and learn what you can from Marx and all that to apply it to your current, like, lived conditions and material reality. But it's it's tough asking online discourse types of any kind yeah. about anything to be normal. But what I'm saying is, is like, I think in that's general— That's a square peg round. Yeah, of course. But generally, like, we we aren't suffering from a lack of knowledge— like, the level that you're going to have to meet people on to be convincing in any sort of meaningful way is not going to be one where, like, you need to be quoting Gramsci. Like, meeting, meeting people on their wavelength, I would describe as you need to, like, have a fucking Rick and Morty portal gun to go to their fucking dimension. You know what I mean? Like, you have to, like, you have to completely absorb... You need like an ideological or political kind of like portal gun to get into someone's, especially someone who is like already in the lost in the sauce, right? Like you have to get like a fucking portal gun to go into their, in their world and their mind palace or whatever to even begin to reach them. I mean, some people like 
I left the alarm company job. You left it, of course, before me, but I didn't leave it until like 2011, I think. And now with like in the Trump era starting in 2015, I would have liked to have worked in some part of me, some sick part of me would like to have like worked there again and like kind of talked with those people, you know, apolitically, casually, as much as the job allows. Right. But part of me would like to just like, you know, like at some point back in 2010, 2011, some I had some call randomly where some police dispatcher was sleeping on the job and the guy said he's going to join Obama's ranks of the unemployed soon. I had an offhand comment, right, on on a call one time. And um, now I can't help but wonder what how that comment would that kind of comment would how that would be said and how that would hit Um, the offhand political comments. I would think in like South Georgia, I would think would increase or at least would in intensity would be be more psychotic and be more like uh, obtuse and niche and insane, probably. But it's hard to say. I still think most people don't give a shit about politics and don't care to make references. Well, that's to sort it. of the the two types of uh, like evangelizing uh, targets. There is there's the the people that are just like so insane now that they're not going to appreciate a historical analysis of class yeah. structure and the the base and superstructure of all of it because they they have their own history that epistemologically can't be moved nothing you say right i mean uh jonathan swift has a quote that says man cannot be talked out of with reason that which he was not talked into right with reason and so right. it's some of that i'm just I like agree. you got a triage that's a lost cause like you aren't going to be able to, like, there, there's no metaphysics that they're going to agree to for you to even continue to have a discussion. I don't think anyone's, a, to be clear, though, I don't think anyone's a lost cause or whatever. I, I don't like that concept, I guess, but it's like, I just think you got to stick a pen in just, like, certain conversations. I think, you have to, I think you have to triage and be realistic yeah. about how persuasion I guess works. that's what I'm saying. It yeah. works glacially, and it works yeah. based on not yeah. so much rhetoric, but on, like, community. Tucker Carlson isn't making great points, but when people watch him, they feel seen as part of a community, and that builds this absolutely insane thing that had nothing to do with with good words and and great arguments, right? No, but he's putting together very good rhetoric. I mean, I have to give it to him. On on some nights, other nights, uh, he really is just a lazy racist. It's fucking terrible. (laughs) Like, I watched some of, of him recently, and it's just like... You know, credit to Bill Maher, his takes are dog shit, but he's always mailing it in. Tucker Carlson does have on nights, but there's a lot of off nights. And my point is just my ideology from the beginning, like I started this podcast to learn more about socialism in the early episodes of just like, what are the tendencies? Like, how does this, how do you talk to people about this? How do I explore new ideas? Like, what are the references and all that? And I think on some, I think that a typical rando on the internet probably relates to that more than say Mark's Madness, which is like really brainy book club type shit where you're really getting into the weeds. Look, look it has a, a role, but all this is just to say that my ideology has pretty much been whittled down to an actionable get five perspective is what I call it. Get five. Yeah, so get five is my thing where instead of trying to cosplay or imagine that we're just three electoral victories from luxury gay space communism... Realize that the history of left movements has been, so at least like my understanding, which is rudimentary, admittedly, is that the the nature of left move, left movements historically have been like 
revolutionary moments, sure, but long fallow periods of just like people who are going to live and die without ever seeing the the end state, right? The the communism in in your country or in the world or socialism or whatever like Marxist utopia you have in mind as like an American consumer and like I'm into this and it's going to be good for me because of uh you know all the good stuff we're going to get the average experience of someone living and dying as a socialist is not being in that revolutionary moment and just sort of like doing your best to build community and relationships and class consciousness such that when the next stochastic opportunity Mm -hmm. uh, for revolution or reform or whatever it may be that when the next thing happens few and far between people will be sufficiently organized or energized or educated such that a good thing could then come about. But on balance, most people aren't in the, the cool French revolution moment. They're in the, I just worked in a factory and got five of my friends to read a book one time. And you know, now their kids are socialists or whatever, right? My, my ideology at this point, my practical ideology is this get five thing, which is just, you know, people change their minds not based on, like, how flowery or clever your rhetoric is. Certainly that helps. It's good to have that. Like, the fact that Fred Hampton uh, was such a dynamic speaker really helped that uh, That's Marxism the, go I, down, you know? I kind of think that kind of thing's almost more for the cameras than anything else. The the chalk and pretty thing. Yeah, look, look, that stuff, and, and that's important. Like, like was it agitprop or whatever? Like, mm-hmm. doing propaganda uh, in that way is very valuable. But most of us aren't going to be Fred Hampton or in, in front of the cameras and the way people change their mind is, you know, community-based, relationship-based. Uh, building, building trust. Yeah, building trust. And that is not something that you can just pop down in a DSA-fitted and be like, hey, have you, you heard of Gramsci? Like, that's reductive. People aren't How do you do, do fellow uh, comrades, uh, fellow proletariat? Yeah, like most that people, kind of thing. Persuasion moves at, at a pace that, seems glacial compared to how you want it to go. Mm. And so I think that if you can just commit yourself to, you know what? I'm I'm not Castro. I'm not sleeping in the mountains or whatever. It's fun reading about him on a history and narrative level, but that's probably not going to be me. I'm not Lenin, which is a big admission for a lot of online people, I'll say, or DSA meeting guys, a big admission to make. But maybe my ceiling, the most I can do, is just getting five people to increase their class consciousness or even, best-case scenario, say, like, you know what, I, I'm a socialist. I like these ideas. Before you die and are gone. Like, right. that is already so much more meaningful. People get this idea like, oh, well, I, I'm out in the sticks. There's not a, a local PSL around here, so how do I get involved? Or There's no Dream Defenders where I am, so right. I kind of feel like I can't do anything. It's like get a hobby, go to a, a bar, be in your community, and just over the course of decades or however long you're blessed to live, uh, just change five minds because you know what? Those five people mm. go on, and that's that sounds corny. You know, that's sort of like, you only need to reach five. Yeah, well, because if, if you and everyone else does that and that's all you contribute, you've just raised the floor yeah. for the next generation True. until, hopefully, 
when a moment happens or opportunity for coalition, whatever, however it happens, whatever it is, I mean, I can't imagine what socialism will look like because I don't know what the material conditions right. underpinning it will be. Right. Uh, I, I don't know the, the, the people that will embrace I, Like, I don't know what a, a comrade in the future will look like any more than uh, Marx did. But I know with some amount of certainty that those people in the future would really appreciate if we could just swell the ranks and make it a little bit easier for them to prepare a better launch pad. Yeah, and well, one thing generationally that's already been done and through repeated polling on the issue, if that proves anything, which I'm not saying it does, but um, younger people don't think socialism is a dirty word, basically. Older people still kind of do. They, they didn't get the Cold War propaganda as right. like a lived Fed experience. right. So, like, yes, they can they can read about the scary USSR and all that, but that's not their experience. That's not the experience of their peers in their community. Right. So, yeah, there is no uh, reptile brain like, oh, that's bad, in the same way that to this day, boomer liberals, you say the S word around them, and you could see them recoil a little bit, oh, you know, yeah. like, a, like a trauma, like, we can't say that. Yeah, and it's – but I just think just the concept of – I think I guess like that I guess that's the first step right of just making it not like a taboo right but then on but one thing at least one step rhetorically past that is don't let your definition of it be the simpleton fox news definition of the government doing stuff Right. Yeah, of course. It's an ideology. It's a philosophy, essentially. And I know that takes a lot more reading and people don't want to do that shit. I don't want to do that shit. You don't want to do that shit. I get it. But it's just understand that it's not just that. I still think about that TikTok uh, a few years back of socialism, not when the government does stuff. Socialism, not when the government does stuff. Um, I think uh, I believe uh, who's the um, economic update, the the heart, the fucking Harvard professor who's a socialist, um, Richard Wolff. Really? I think that's it. Yes, I believe that's it. Yes, Richard D. Wolf. Yes, he went to Yale with like Janet Yellen, and so someone like Richard D. Wolf, um, who has that um, as part of a larger lecture, he had this little clip of it that gets a lot of traction in our little corner of Twitter or whatever, where he says, uh, "Socialism is when the government does a lot of stuff, and communism is when it does like even more stuff," or like he like has a little joke about like that. And it's just, it's basically just this idea of, I don't know, like you can talk to people, if some, if some normie asks you, what's the difference between, like, I know about socialism and I hear all about socialism, but like communism, like that's, you know, that seems even crazier. And what is even the difference between socialism and communism? You can like give them like, and I don't think it's that like heavy an answer, but you can say something like, well, Lenin said socialism is what you do on the way to communism. You know, some, some, a simple idea like that. I actually think that's pretty approachable for anyone who bothers to ask the question in the first place, right? But then if, then if you start talking about, like, cultural hegemony, that's probably maybe a little too far for, like, a typical normie. But, like, I don't know. I just The think... normie being who will be the overwhelming majority. Yeah. Of any movement of any consequence, I think. I think I, I, I hear this a lot. I hear it from like on from Untrue and on like Brace Brace Belden will say it, but it's just like, and I I don't exactly know what people mean when they say this, but I think the general gist is good. Just be normal. Just like try to be normal. Just or just try not to be a freak uh, when you when you talk about the stuff with people. When you talk about, hopefully, you do movement work. This the people we're talking to. 
even a little. Um, when you talk about movement work, like you can just say like, yeah, you know, it's part, it's this political movement and, um, you know, and this is the movement work, what I do. And you can break it down to the most like mundane of tasks that people generally understand. And, but when it comes to like the ideology animating it, that's like a whole other, you almost want to avoid that conversation with some people almost. Uh, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's so, it can be so, or can seem so obtuse. What does obtuse mean? Uh, abstract and strange, strange or alienating or uh, abstract. I, I don't know, uh, or just or just um, unusual to a point where it's like I don't even understand the words you're using. Sure, obtuse. yeah, and I don't I don't mean to. Uh, this is not like a when I talk about like get five and you know meeting people where they're at. That's not to like talk down to our peers. Are, are people exploited by capitalism, right? Yeah, our, yeah our but keeping it here. simple isn't the same as yeah, talking down. But a I coalition... Guess. It can be kind of similar. Yeah, a coalition <laughs> will have people that love that, like, book nerd shit. There's people yeah. uh, like me where I've never seen or read Game of Thrones, but I just like all the lore and world building. There's yeah, people yeah. that are just like, oh, Lennon, I've heard of him. Oh, Ooh, okay. this is like a whole world He, he wrote, like, essays and stuff. I could read it. Yeah. Oh, and it... it He's funny and the catty bitch and some of them cool. Oh, so socialism is a transitory like state on the way to. Oh, and there's different tendencies and ideologies. I want to learn that. Oh, it's and like, Mao's like the global south guy. Those look those guys. Yeah. Like there's an appeal there. You you need them too because there should be an appeal because the underlying ideology, like like the ideals of socialism, are pro-social. They're uh, appealing. Right. right. They are like literally good morally speaking and so yeah you want to appeal to those guys but when i talk to you know people on the street or in cabs or wherever i mean i'm i i like to probably kid myself that i'm subtle about this but no one's quite as uh, subtle as they think but i get into these conversations and i don't use the words uh socialism or communism not that i think you shouldn't but because those are going to have Freight. They're going to be freighted. They're going to be weighted with someone's like just surface acquired uh, connotations of those words, right? Even if they aren't boomers, even if it doesn't mean as much, they have an idea of that already uh, in their head. And I don't want to have that conversation. The conversation I want to have is like, let me tell you about the socialist ideals. These are the basic, like, let's start from the ground floor. When I say like raising class consciousness, mm-hmm. we are so, <laughs> we're, at such a low level now that just going like, well, politically, these are the things that are important to me. And as they're pro-social and quite good and egalitarian, people generally agree with them, right? Mm-hmm. And if, if you've got them there, then it's like, okay, well, why don't we have that? And then they'll give you their best version of material analysis, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. In most cases, they'll be like, it's this and that. And then you can go... Well, yeah, I, I agree. Those are we're on the same page. All that stuff is pretty fucked up, uh, and that's when you roll out the like marks. The like, well, you know, maybe history changes along like a material axis, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't think that's too big a leap. Where it's just like, here's the stuff I care about. Here's the lens that I and a bunch of other people have traditionally used to evaluate like why things happen. You know, it's hard to get answers. Why? That's why people go down conspiracy holes, right? right? Because they have no... They're just grasping for some kind of explanation. Yeah, it's it's why people yeah. 
think that like the two party system is, is that there's a, a real meaningful difference uh, between the two. We can talk about that in a second, but like uh, because their reality is such that like that's that's how government works. Like, why is it like that? Because that's the best you can do, right? Mm-hmm. It's a lack of imagination and all that sort of stuff. I I think. Um, but if you can answer why and in a way that's empathetic and comes from a place of agreement, you're like, this is just a framework. I'm not saying do the USSR. The USSR was just a shot at trying to do socialism. And yeah, you can get into uh, whether they followed Marx's, uh, Marx's general prescription for how things are supposed to go from a feudal to capitalist uh, society and all that. Right. Mm -hmm. Then they like try to skip the whole, it went from feudal straight to like socialism in one state without having like capital develop the productive capacity for that transition. Look, that's the sort of nerd shit that you can get into, but for the most no, part, which, which I'm not even a normie. I have no response to that. For the most part, <laughs> look, uh, that's shout out to Nathan and Mark's madness. <laughs> I'm learning guys. Mark's madness rocks. Dude. I think I learned so much. Yeah, no, he's, he's awesome. He's going to be on soon too. Okay. Um, but <laughs> all this is to say, that stuff is there, and I don't have to be an expert on it. I don't have to get my base level of book learning all that good to say, uh, here are my ideals, here's a framework for answering the big question why that doesn't involve satanic pedophile rings, although can if, if you want it to, and you can engage at any level because there's all this material. Anyway, that's the only conversation we're ever going to have. Now I'm going to live out my principles, <laughs> and if you see me as like a trustworthy, decent guy, thoughtful guy, a guy who is actually looking out for you, then it, it increases the chance that you will teach yourself uh, yeah. to become a socialist. Or, ne- or the next time you run into someone like that, you'll be more receptive. You know? Yeah, it, it's, again, it's just laying the groundwork. And you were saying uh, a bit ago about, like, you hate to think of people as lost causes. I don't, but, I don't like it, yeah. So, and, and I don't ever think of people as lost I try not to think of them as lost causes, but I do have a triage mentality, which is if it is honestly a beautiful achievement, if you can get five people to identify as a socialist uh, just through their exposure to you and these conversations uh, by the time you die, like if that is actually something that is going to be arrived at glacially and with a lot of uh, hard work, I think you need to pick your moments, like pick your targets. If there are mm-hmm. people that are not going to show even a basic like appreciation for like wanting to look at history or answer why mm-hmm. if people are very comfortable if they're like crazy QAnon people if they're your dad you know people are like oh I want my family to be socialists but people you know they want it to be their family members they, they want it to be a certain friend of theirs that they convince over right because mm-hmm. they're so persuasive yeah. and I just think I'm not saying write people off. But until you've got five, focus on the best draft prospects you right. got. You know, no. people that actually know you well enough or have you know experiences with you that they're going to take you seriously and not debate you on you know uh, sl- slavery wasn't so bad and we, we, yeah. we can't teach science in school type. Like there's there, that is a Gordian knot of a personal ideology that is so malformed by the pressures of American like life. Yeah. It it would take a team to unravel that shit. I, it probably can't. I mean, so lost. So me, I'm saying you probably can't unravel it. No one a lost, person. Anyway. A lost yeah. cause. I'm always going to find five people right. that are more uh, amenable 
Yeah, so I see what you're, and I see exactly what you're saying that there's a difference between call, calling someone a lost cause and and seeing finding out who is just most amenable and then working those people basically. Um, yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think uh, I think there are a lot of people who, um, especially like American history, like heads, because uh, there's, there's a decent amount of those in this country. People who people who almost fetishize it, right? Um, is arguably not enough of those people, but. Um, in my heart of hearts, I obviously don't believe that we're going to have like an American socialist republic or something like that in my lifetime or even... I can't even envision it. Couldn't even envision it. But what I can envision with moments like the ripple effects of this pandemic, one thing I am seeing is workers finally getting sick and tired of being fucking sick and tired. And I see people really standing up for themselves... Sometimes it's just, I just want to make more money, which is a good starting place as any, honestly. I mean, certainly we'd need more money. Oh, God knows. If you, work, if you work for a paycheck, you need more money. Amen. Uh, and you don't have, like, pa- if you don't have passive income, you need more money. Um, but uh, I, I don't know, man. I think realistically, realistically, I think some kind of social democracy, New Deal, Democrat kind of thing, being that we are basically still in the historical seat of it, of course, here in New York City and New York State. Um, realistically, I s- short-ish term, I really see that as the closest thing we're really going to get to socialism in the U.S. But what's interesting about that expectation of mine is that in Chile, um, there for about a generation or so under Michelle Bachelet and all these other social Democrats, um, they did, they had market solutions and other commodity based market things to, uh, to improve the economic conditions of, if not everyone, then let's say most everyone. Um, after a generation of that, of like Michelle Bachelet having like a bunch of terms as a president and, um, uh, the price of precious metals that they mine going up and stuff like that, right? And pin and and also by the way, doing this thing that uh, some progressives in the states call baby bonds, which is you give a child uh, or their parents um, something like a five two nine, some kind of financial instrument like that, um, when they're like when they as soon as they're born, basically, and you just leave that alone and let that mature. Was that like a years. Cory Booker? Cory Booker uh, was blank. one person that proposed this, yeah, in the, in Congress. Um, it was like just a way to pay for college, but it could also be a way to establish UBI, like in this country, for example. That's a market solution, but not my favorite. But, but, the, but the point is with Chile is that in the 2000s and the 2010s, Bachelet got these policies through. It did improve the lives of at least some portion of – it created like a larger middle class, essentially. Um, there is no such thing as a middle class, but that's more complicated. The made-up thing, I agree. The made-up thing. Um, but essentially it made like a, a – it turned family. It turned otherwise hard scrabble working class families into having some financial comforts and put them in this. Eventually, made them I don't know petty bourgeois, whatever you want to call it. And uh, now that generation, the oldest of that generation, raised under those conditions, now like Gabriel Bork, are now putting together basically a lefty coalition, like from social democrats all the way to fucking communists. And they are, and it's going to take them more than a more than one try because the first time they failed badly with the people. But 
they're going to take a couple tries. They're not going to get everything they want. That's how, you know, democracy fucking works. But they are literally rewriting the Chile. People listening know this. And I'm not telling, not giving anyone breaking news, I don't think. Maybe some people. But they're literally rewriting the Chilean constitution away from the, uh, not, uh, uh, P- the Pinochet, Pinochet era, right? I, I, I ended in Pinochet. I was getting that. You're aware up. it like it it just got voted down. Yeah, no, the, yeah. Oh, that's their first try. I mean, they have sure. the the whole plebiscite thing, the whole constitutional voting process. I mean, this like Colombia like had a had to get a bunch of tries to get a peace treaty in you know to not so the FARC and the government don't murder each other. I mean, they eventually got it right, and then they elected a lefty P- Pietro, a lefty. So uh, and like like the Bernie Sanders of Colombia, basically. They also is. made a, a pretty good uh, comedy website in the late '90s and early 2000s. The Fark. <laughs> I never put that together. Yeah, that's, they, that's they, awesome. they actually Fark.com. They, they made yeah. a little bit of money off that. They did funny links and weird links around the internet. Yeah, like a, like a Usenet, like a Usenet type thing. God bless them. <laughs> um, but no, I just the pink. I'm just what I'm trying to say is the pink tide in South America is a uh, second pink tide, absolutely real. Lula is probably if he runs and he doesn't get murdered, uh, assassinated, is probably going to win, uh, or doesn't get the election somehow st- debowed from him. Um, is you know is probably going to win. The public is on his side. I mean, there's absolutely another pink tide in South America, and so and then uh, what I guess I'm saying is. You can have a generation or two of social democracy, of people understand, a whole generation coming up and understanding that here, that socialism isn't a dirty word, number one, that's absolute ground level where it starts, and then maybe a generation or two of social democracy understanding, hey, the government can actually like just help me out in my everyday life. This is great. Where was, where was this for my parents? And the parents will be embittered, like, oh, I didn't get this when I was coming up, and they'll, of course, they'll be bitter and vote against it. You know, that, that typical... Fucking me seeks bullshit. Um, it's Rick and Morty reference, folks. Can I, can I ask yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, where, where, what is the role? Where do you see the role of uh, advocating for social democracy in the like path towards socialism or communism? I, I think that's what I'm. I think that's basically what I'm getting at. I mean, I think that's what I'm kind of saying. Um, I think if there is a generation or two of young people that see their childhood uh, looking back and see their childhood see their current college education or whatever you know as directly a result of the government's here to help lift me up a little bit not a lot but a little bit right and i think has an interest in my basic has an interest in my basic social welfare the social welfare of society right and i think the more and more (laughs) like in a sense in this country they kind of fucked up by giving us the vaccines and all these tests free because now people are like, wait, hey, why can't healthcare always be like this? Like, yeah, Jen Psaki being like, what do you want us to do? Wait, mail you give tests? tests? <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, we can And the do British journalist is like, no, no, we do that all the time, actually. The NHS, uh, blah, blah, you know. Yeah, I felt like I was in Manchester. <laughs> it's socialist look, Manchester. Look, the reason I ask that is okay, like, yeah, I understand you, that? you think uh, social democratic policy is a bridge to. They, right. They, yeah, it, it's certainly uh, it's on the way towards. Uh, the, the capture and more control over the production. This is capacities. glacial, multi generational. Yeah, but so this is just thinking out. Theory of change. It's just thinking out loud here. I, I'm not advocating for this. I just, I can imagine people listening being like, okay, if you're trying to get five people, you're trying to raise class consciousness. Um, 
it, is there a value in drawing the line between like no no social democracy social democracy will just maintain the contradictions and the pernicious effects yeah. of yeah. capitalism uh we that can't be what we're aiming towards uh, uh social democracy does deliver you know more humane government services but you know socialism is not just when the government does more stuff right. do you think there's anyone out there to invent a guy that could be thinking we should not be advocating for social democracy or seeing that as good enough or putting any effort towards uh, institutions and structures that are at best social democratic uh, oriented because none of these are a meaningful threat to capital. This is like sort of a veiled way. No, you have to have this, the genuine threat to capital. Well, so this is a veiled way of, of asking like, what do you see the role of the democratic party mm-hmm. uh, in America and, in this then because in this guy I'm imagining uh, saying like and that's why you need to go out and canvas for progressive Democrats <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, who are yeah, advocating yeah. for a social welfare state such that you would see in a, a more functioning social democratic state right well if the Democratic Party should they put any time in it should they ever vote for Democrats right, or when right. we're getting five are we saying like none of this we see that none of this leads to the good outcomes we want so this is like a baffle. This is a blind alley. Or is it just, you know what, if you can get if you can keep the WIC program, that's really good. So right. always come out. Harm reduction, dems. yeah. Like what is the the balance of concerns there? The, uh, for I, you personally. I uh, for I would say number one, the absolute concern in terms of electoral engaging in any electoral bullshit is is this person I am A voting for and then B knocking doors for or something like that. Is this person who is this person taking money from? It's the capture of the existing duopoly and the existing systems that has fucked everything. It's the it's the it's the fundraising and the packs and like all this the whole it's the dirty money the dirty money, and you know that's not to say that if some hard right reactionary you know did Bernie Sanders style fundraising I would respect them, but I would at least know oh okay they really mean what they fucking say. Because they're they're not out here getting bought by anybody. They're actually like so. At least I would know they fucking mean it, and, and, and I would amel- fight that person harder, even harder. <laughs> so there's some ameliorating factor where uh, fewer by quantity direct institutional donors. Uh, that's better. Yeah, I mean that just, might make someone who's a Democrat worth spending time on. I guess. Yeah, I mean that's where it's got to start. I just right there that has to be the absolute bedrock baseline of supporting any candidate. Like someone like Bernie or someone like AOC who has actually like done the, I mean, they take money from like the, 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 the dirtiest source of money they take is some kind of union or some kind of nurse nurses pack or something like that. Maybe a, a handful of Google employees give them money, something like that, but not like any sort of um, institutional, uh, you know, corporate lobby or anything like, you know what I mean? It's, I, I want, I want candidates if that are if we're going to work within this you know stupid fucking electoral system we have, which is that what you're advocating? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, well, no, not no. I I think more important, way more important than I will say, working on a state and local level has more appeal to me electorally than any sort of congressional or presidential thing. It has way more appeal to me personally. I think what DSA done has done in New York City and state has been kind of fucking incredible. Well, what's incredible about it? The fact that. 
Do you remember when the uh, the rent the rent uh, the rent reforms were passed? I want to say that was 2018, 2019. Uh, yes, I do. Continue. And, I'm grabbing a vape. Right. And I remember there was this. I mean, it was the New York Times disclosed these conversations, but there were like developer types and landlord and landlords who and the, and their lobby who would literally who had like personal relationships with Cuomo. And they would call him like, Cuomo, you got to do something about this. This is like killing our business. And Cuomo would be like, I don't give a shit. Call your, call your legislator. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, even Cuomo couldn't help them. That, that's, I mean, I know those were like the most tepid, like basic of reforms. But to even have a moment like that, like to where even Cuomo can't help you, that's like, whoa. Like that's, I mean, that's the beginnings of a fucking game changer. And the fact that Cuomo got taken down the way he got taken down. I mean, and the fact that, that he was passing progressive shit just to, like, get heat off of him. Like, between the Tupac strategy of get, so, get social Democrats or socialists or progressive who are progressives who are down, working family, uh, WFP, who's like, who are down with us into the system. And then at the same time, bring, like, um, scandal heat onto people and make them do common sense progressive things just to take the heat off of them. I think those, just that pincer in general, at least in New York state probably works to get some great shit passed. I mean, certainly with Cuomo. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Cuomo, we had decades of three men in a room where like there would be no point to a legislative session because unless those three guys, you know, the majority leader and Cuomo and all that, unless they agreed there was not even worth discussing. Um, and, where I'm skeptical is like, you know, everyone, all politicians have scandals or kerfuffles or whatever. Like, it pub, presents public, an opportunity. Public pressure. But that means, that means believing in a dynamic where public electoral pressure guides the actions of your representatives more than much more material. Like you said, fundraising concerns, just the interest they end up being in hoc to, either, again, financially or just parliamentary you know, like AOC crying because she has to make votes to make Nancy Pelosi happy. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you do you really think that the levers? So I talked to my my dad about this, uh, right. where he was saying that now more than ever, it feels like the levers of public pressure you could put on your elected officials aren't responding. You know, like people don't feel the need to step down after doing something horrendous. You can. Trump has like upped the um, Trump and, and even Cuomo. Has like upped the like tolerance level, I guess, of shame. Like I, right? what ended up getting Cuomo is the prurient nature of the allegations. He's right. had plenty of scandals, financial, yeah, yeah, the, the, the nursing uh, homes, and yeah. I mean, he literally killed reporting old it to people. The, yeah, yeah, reporting to uh, the federal government. I mean, like, I don't want yeah. out scandals. Like, yeah. not not me being like they're proven. Like, not not being a documents guy. These are just like they've been reported in the papers. They didn't move the needle at all. But because we're the country where you can see like. Uh, mass shootings on TV, but they blur out uh, asses on The Bachelor. Like, because yeah. it, it was prurient in nature, that's what took Cuomo down. I'm not sure that that's a model for adequately pressuring public servants under our current paradigm, because I just simply it, don't think that they're... It got Cuomo to legalize marijuana in New York State. I mean, like, yes. because it wasn't going to happen without yes. him. But, but but this was like a freak thing. This was that happened because of his horniness and and frankly atrocious behavior. Italianness all, all day. Yeah, in his words, <laughs> it's his, it's his Italianness. It's but what he said, not what, me. What you're talking about is like the ability to be a pressure force 
in, in parliamentary settings that me, make that the makes whole me too moment. Wanna... The whole me too moment in 2017 was enormous arm twisting, like pressure valve for so many industries. Like you take in Hollywood, there are like, and I just think this is cool as shit. I know it's just a niche little industry thing, but like intimacy coordinators. Are you familiar with this? Yeah. Intimacy coordinators. That's the fucking, that's like, so an intimacy so, coordinator does what? Well, yeah. So they're basically, they work under stunt departments in film and television sets. Right. And if you kind of think about it, I mean like uh, sex on camera outside of like, well, even in porn, even in pornography, but that's not what we're talking about. But like, uh, and like an HBO show where it's like kind of explicit sex, right? Narratively uh, driven, narratively sex. driving sex, yeah, non-pornography, whatever. right? And um, so they will like sit down with the actors and actors, actresses, whatever. Um, you know, the night before, day before, be like, hey, you have this thing on it tomorrow. How are you feeling about it? Like it starts there, like with them. Um, and I just think just a frankly really simple industry change like that a fairly easy industry change i mean you think about how most stunt uh stunt performers are men macho guys who physical you know like adrenaline junkie guys but then think about like this new still kind of a niche but you think about this niche that's growing how probably more inclined to hire women right or maybe even non-binary people right and um or trans people even Depending on what you're, the scene you're dealing it with. It sounds like you're at an auction block. Like, you know what, <laughs> folks, folks, we got NBs. Yeah. We got NBs. Fuck it. NBs. NBs. Can I hear NBs? NBs. NBs. Trans folks. No, but I just. Does anyone? Does anyone need a spiritual vampire? <laughs> no, but it's just like I just think just just that the fact that that uh, industry and public pressure of that Me Too moment at the end of 2017 into 2018, man, I just think. Sometimes it's just like purient sex scandal shit. Sometimes it's all like the general public will really listen to. They'll make a break up like, wait, what? He like, he like, fuck dude. Like that, you know, that kind of thing. Like, I don't know. It's sometimes that's the flash that the, the flash bulb that will just, it's in that moment of confusion and crisis. Sometimes I just think that's a moment, even if it's not purient, it doesn't even have to be purient, but like, you just need that flash of unexpected shocking shit that sometimes creates a mini crisis that you can, frankly, our movement can exploit. Um, and I'm fine with that. I would personally, I'd be fine with that. I know that's kind of conventional U S politics, but I'm fine with that. Well, I mean, so like definition, As a of, strategy definition of a, a exploit. I want to come back to, but so this idea that like, I'm all for, uh, social progress and things that make people safer at work and make people more attuned and sensitive to the communities they're in. Cultural progress is great. Um, and when it explodes into something that puts like real mass public pressure on people and that affects meaningful change, uh, that's, that's great too. That said, a lot of the Me Too people, the institutions, they changed a little. We had a little bit of progress, right? But uh, individuals seem to have bounced back in most cases. The power structures in most cases remain. I like the gains that were made, but it sounds like you're describing a politics in which uh, politics is downstream of culture, and I'm just not sure that fits with sort of, at least for me, the a well, more what like I was Marxist... Specific, hold on. What I was specifically talking about was an industry, a self-perpetuated, basically, industry reform. That's not to say that politics is downstream of culture or whatever. I'm uh, asking... Sometimes it is. What is the mechanism by which the public 
can pull the levers of, of pressure on people such that having uh, bitching on Twitter. I don't know. I mean, that's what we do. Right. I mean, I don't know. I, I, people say that Twitter like isn't real life and it doesn't matter, but there are so many fucking people. I can tell you from experience, there are absolutely so many people in like in public and private institutions who have like burners or just, or just don't have Twitter accounts, but they just like lurk that shit like influences like important people more than I think maybe a typical Twitter Denzi and even understands. Like it kind of does. All, like, we're I hate all to Americans it. at the end of the day. That thing, it's like, yeah, Kevin Durant can be a Hall of Fame basketball player, but he's still raising the <laughs> shit like all of us. He's one of and the he, best and he, posters on the website. And he just gets he's on so there good. like anybody else. He's so he good. wants to know. Everyone wants to see the notifications tab. <sighs> Cardi B. Cardi B is just like one of the best posters on that website. She's such a good poster. Like she gets it. But to get away from Twitter for a second, and back <laughs> Sorry, to yeah. back to shitty uh, uh, theory of change. Armchair so analysis. it isn't. But, but it, so so yeah. it, it, the idea was like, okay, this comes from like, what is the role of the Dems? Why work with them? And you're like, well, it's pretty cool that you know at these small legislative levels you can get at least cadres together that can put pressure on people. And I do think that pressure is there. But then the theory of change that or the examples you gave were ones that didn't actually come from politicized pressure, but from a, a scandal a, pressure. Yeah, from from a sex scandal is what. Uh, Let me be very plain. Made Cuomo. Most drop Dems out. still have shame. Most Democrats, I think, elected officials and your everyday Democrats still have shame. Bro, there's like five current governors that did blackface. Uh, well, Northam's not governor anymore, but uh, yeah, there are but yeah, there are plenty of uh, yeah Dems that have like done that shit from like a bygone era. So but you still believe that uh, uh, an electoral coalition, regardless of long term endpoint goal uh backing the democratic party could have such an influence that the shame of the members would cause them to resign you have I, to I find but you have to find a really world. but you have to find like a really like juicy angle <laughs> you'd have to i mean this is a very i know this is a very cynical strategy that's not a theory about. of change it, it, no, no no it's just a, it's just a cynical strategy so that makes me i'm not calling it a theory of change if i'm talking to a person trying to do my get five and they're like well should i work with the democrats these are all reasons why uh, the more hardline person might be like, well, well, no, you should tell them, no, you shouldn't do that because the pressure that it's being applied isn't doing so in any meaningful sense. We, we don't get these big gains that really increase the quality of life. And if our gains remain small while life in like a climate change, contradictions of yeah. capitalism accelerating, if that starts to accelerate, we really could just... This shit could be like death spiral. Maybe it's more urgent that people just increase class consciousness and wait for whatever stochastic moment or th- like build build the attempt at at community or understanding the why questions such that when an actual opportunity for change happens and that's often not parliamentary, they're ready for it. But I'm, look, I'm not sure that's. But I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not saying sure that's being, helpful though. Like I'm saying, being ready for it is seize a, seize a scandalous moment. I mean, that's part of being ready for well, it. Well, you don't have to be a part of the, the Democratic Party or that coalition in order to seize on that scandal. I'm asking, no, I guess not. with my limited time here on Earth, because where I'm at right now, especially particularly aggrieved on the student loan thing. Right, uh, which we'll get to. So like, what, what is the use case that you're getting out of spending any time collaborating with Democrats like at all because with the student loan thing 
I am like, I don't plan to ever vote for a Democrat or volunteer right. for Democrats. Yeah. Even like my local ones that I like here, I don't think that that end point goes anywhere. Like I think mm. what happens is they become Jamal Bowman, you know? Mm. There's no, Do you a, think- AOC has sort of softened it a little bit. I think entering yeah. into the Imperial Corps uh, Congress and just being like, well, if we'll just make such a good argument that eventually uh, we'll have... I just don't see how that happens. If Brad Lander... That's, that is how you pronounce his last name. Yeah. Right? If Brad Lander ran for mayor in four years, I, I would... like. If, and if I lived here, I would absolutely help, try to help that guy get elected. Like, he'd be a badass mayor. He'd be like a super progressive Jew mayor. Like, that would, uh, that would okay. knock my socks off. So you're up. saying, like, definitely vote at all levels. It costs you nothing. Yeah, you're not like an anti Yeah, uh, voting. I mean... Okay. Don't, don't be so, like, you know... Uh, high and mighty that you think you're above voting. I, I'm sorry. I just like voting costs you nothing. Maybe it's because I grew up feeling more enfranchised into that process growing up in Tallahassee and, and having government, you know, lawyer parents or whatever. But I just, I just feel like, yeah, why not? Why the hell not? Well, I mean, you fill out a form, a short form, you know, who cares? Well, so I mean, yeah, sure. voting is the lowest barrier of entry. I think there's sure. also a level where it's just like... Although it's high, in some states it's higher and higher and higher depending on who you are, but that's... Yeah, the, the power of that vote, it, it's not increasing it, it's decreasing like the effect of uh one's ability to influence your real desires politically to see them realized through the vote gets harder and harder because of you know let, gerrymandering because of voter suppression and all right. that stuff so it's like we're trying to squeeze a lot of ideological projects through a very narrow fucking and it's narrowing and hole narrowing in there and that's getting narrow states, so again yeah. when i talk about like where do i spend my my time like okay voting sure you can do that although i don't even want to do that now because they on their face tell me like we're not supporting your interests so why would i give them the vote if they explicitly don't have the interests i have Mm -hmm. and why would one volunteer for democratic campaigns yeah uh, knowing that that is a party that explicitly internally and externally in actual like legislative session will never they're not pointing in the same direction. They will never get you to your goals. So you're pro-voting, but what do you see as the role Pro. of the Democratic Party? I mean, the, ultimately, I think, you know, short-term, even long-term, they're not going to do anything we fucking want. But like like I said, I think just there are um, weak points and weak moments and opportunities to just like, poke them where it fucking where they're fucking vulnerable where it fucking hurts i mean i just think like i think it'd be cool actually if and i see it kind of happening in in new york like where um radical lefties use the (laughs) use the incredibly harsh and vicious politics of this city and this state and like okay you know cuomo wants to play this nasty you know tough guy game well you know we're socialists. We get beaten down politically constantly and smacked around constantly. And it, it, I mean, even the Working Families Party can say they'd be smacked around. Constantly. We were already planning on losing today, so yeah, we're we'll all, just so go ahead like, and so like, yeah. fuck you, suicide bomb it. You know, yeah. I, that's what I'm saying. Like, just just go electorally hard. to be clear. Yes, yes, electorally, electorally. No, but I just inshallah. But uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, just like I don't know, man. I I met up with a, an electoral, he calls himself like a Lenin, Leninist, electoralist, Queens DSA guy. And he's probably um, cool. He's a cool fucking dude. And he grew up in like, let's say he grew up in Pittsburgh, 
but has lived in actually lived in New York and Queens most of his life. And he's one of these like Queens white guys that knows like five fucking languages and can like cuss you out in all five. You know what I mean? It's like, he's like that kind of, he's a type of guy. He's a type of New York guy. And he, he reminds me of like action Bronson, but if action Bronson got like a master's degree, he's like that. He's like that kind of guy. And, um, I'm sorry, but like, that's exactly the kind of dude I want. Like, Sticking it to the democratic establishment in this state and in this city, so and that sounds fucking cool. So I don't know. Like, it, it, it's funny, look, fun at least. Being cool is very important. It has to be said <laughs> to any but, movement. Like it literally is. But so you're sort of taking the Dems are the machine by which we can move the Overton window. Yeah, and, and that like maybe get things noticed. <laughs> I, I'm not against. I just I'm just riffing here. But I I think like you know it wasn't. It wasn't the Democratic Party or even the progressive wing of the Democratic Party that made that made the ninety nine percent rhetoric take hold in America. It was Occupy, which is like an illegal yeah. socialist yeah, yeah. Uh, lefty thing that happened. Well, anti capitalist. It wasn't socialist. It was anti capitalist for sure. It, yeah, included socialists as someone sure, yeah, as yeah, someone yeah. who was who was down there. It was actually down there. It, it included anything it was like one of those fucking ai curio generator image things yeah, where you're yeah, just yeah. like you know what i want to i want to behold a, a like, like a, a anti-zionist idf guy <laughs> that is also a black israelite uh but doesn't believe sounding more like be real and not but doesn't uh... believe that straights have a place in the black israelite community <laughs> and you would just think that and it would just like appear oh, before shit. you out of a portal that guy's here and he's bringing day old bread. Oh shit! And he's <laughs> fucking up the people's mic. And it, it's it. Yeah, that that is what I think inspired a lot of the. It, that was the seed of the idea that I think made Bernie Sanders more viable. I genuinely yeah. think that there is an yeah. occupy to Sanders thing. Yeah, I think defund the police happens because of people in Minneapolis mm-hmm. who like. With no collaboration with the Democratic Party, people in Burned Portland, down a fucking police people precinct. doing civil disobedience wherever, right? That seems to get attention more than, you know, ironically, years of Bernie Sanders killing every committee he's on. Mm. You know, like at, at the end of the day, if you see the Dems as like this will be the big tent organizing spot where we'll yank the Overton window and we'll put our ideas out there. The Overton I'm window not, has been yanked. It clearly has. I'm not sure that that is even a machine that you need to utilize because of the examples we see of what actually changes discourse. If anything, the Democratic Party could be a tent that is quite stifling. Yeah, uh, for sure. Which is why I think we should bully Democrats because they can be successfully bullied way more easily than Republicans. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's funny how... um, you're sort of self-conscious. We, we, we was just 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 a little while ago. We were talking about how, like self-conscious white liberals and shit like that. The, the Democratic Party is an inherently guilty party. Like on some level, that only matters if it inspires action, though. Which we have decades and decades and decades of evidence that it doesn't. Their guilt does not necessarily lead to progress unless again it leads like there's a scandal there's a scandal where as a last resort they legalize like, okay, weed or whatever. Okay, okay. yeah well but 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 at the beginning of uh, it was the beginning of this year saki makes some sarcastic comment and biden's like and the backlash from that just among reporters really uh, and then and then so, and some commentariat everyday commentariat gets us a bunch of we get like what i guess it's like six or whatever it is free tests 
the post office gives us. I mean, like, that's a tiny, tiny thing in the grand scheme of things, but it's like, I think it's an example of you just, if you are in that electoral game, if you're in that everyday political dis, electoral political discourse game, right, seize on a stupid, I think Obama or like some Obama operatives had that saying of never let a crisis go to waste, right? I just think that's a decent electoral, not a theory of change per se, but a decent enough electoral strategy to be like, seize when your opponents are dumb pieces of shit, seize on it. When they're shameful, purient pieces of shit, seize on it. Like, just like, seize the opportunity. It's not like people on Twitter aren't already hopping on that. Lefties on Twitter aren't already hopping on the hot new whatever of the day. I don't know. It's just like... You don't need Democrats to do that. No, I guess so not. here I am. You're talking, but that's a party to, you're talking to one of your Get Five people. They want to know, okay, well, should I vote for Dems? Should I volunteer for them? Should I send money to uh, Dem governor's races that I want to back? I would say if one, if, if one of my five people like to post, if they already like posting, I would say, have you ever tried bullying people on Twitter? It's going to be really fun. <laughs> That's what I would kind of, and he's like, hey, you know, there's this way you can kind of like bully people online and maybe even like make them a little ashamed of themselves as they should be. That's kind of how I would kind of pitch it. If you, but that's to the people again, like triage, like you said, they already kind of have to be into posting. I don't do any posting and shit talking. I don't do any posting. What should Never. I do? What should I do, Paul? Ah, so now they don't post. That's see, that's different. I'm then a, then a, you have to gauge like the personality type they are, and if they're not the kind of person you're gauging the personality type to see if you're pitching Democrat participation. Kind of, yeah. How, yeah. Elaborate, yeah. elaborate. Yes, yeah, yeah. I'll say, um, if they're the kind of person who's like non-confrontational and like doesn't like con- confrontation, then I'm, I'm not going to pitch that to them. What, being a Democrat? No, uh, confronting Democrats. Okay, sure. Engaging with the Democratic Party in that way. Answer the damn question, sir. So, okay, so... Someone wants to get into... Normal, mild-mannered, mild-mannered Someone person. just read, they watched a video essay from someone whose name is like Thought Slime. Actually, I think that is somebody. Thought Slime. I think that's actually... I think that is a thing, yeah. yeah. But they, they watched... Nobody reads fucking books anymore. Sorry, that ship has sailed. Yeah. Uh, so they watched a video... There were recent congressional hearings on that, by the way, that gonna, literally proved it. it it's just a accoutrement now. It, yeah. It's a niche hobby. It's fine. It's, so, a, it's a lifestyle Instagram uh, accessory. It's, Seriously. It's, it's fine. Yeah. Um, so mild-mannered person... Not con- not a confrontational person, just a, a meek kind of right everyday person. Should I get involved with the Democratic Party? Um, if you live in New York City and you want to be seriously involved in electoral stuff, then yeah, you might as well change your party affiliation or whatever. Look, I, I, I watched the video. The socialism stuff sounds good. Tell me oh, what okay. to do, Paul. Um, I would say if you're in, if you are down with joining an organization, join DSA. Learn how to replace a brake light. That's the first thing I would say to them. Join DSA and learn how, learn how to replace a brake light and then replace people's brake lights. Because probably if the girls at the DSA will talk, probably, will like chat me up. They'll and probably I, think that you're like, you're probably in like the top 10% masculine <laughs> type if you can change a brake yeah, light. Yeah, yeah. And DSA will like help you do it. Yeah. The like, women, will, women will teach you. Yeah. yeah. And like, yeah Sometimes. Yeah. That's not, that could, so change, why do I need to change a brake light? Because it is a often hardship expense for everyday people who don't have a hundred bucks laying, uh, you know, fifty, hundred, hundred fifty bucks laying around. Um, 
if that person is black and they, especially if they live in a certain part of the country, um, a bright light can be the difference between them getting arrested or pulled over or not, right? Or killed. Or even killed, right? Well, I didn't want to go there, but you're right. I, I think it's safe to admit that yeah. police Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I wasn't going as far as I should have. Thank you for checking. We're willing to go that far. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it, it, can be the, it can be a life or death difference, right? Um, you get to do something with your hands and not stare at a screen. Uh, do work that isn't staring at a screen, right? Or vo- even as just a volunteer, right? You get to, like, be outside, hang out with people. You get to chit-chat. Maybe you're into cars, right? Maybe you're into working with your hands. Maybe you're... Maybe you just want to like volunteer and just learn a new skill, right? And and then you from there you could maybe even learn uh, how to like uh, another minor car fixing task, like uh, if the uh, bed of your trunk is all fucked up, you know how to like properly resecure like that carpet bedding of a just some other minor car task, right? So so far, I I just heard about this Lennon guy and this Marks. I'm. I'm sort of looking at the way you love this. You love this imaginary history. interaction. You love this shit. Uh, I have. This is what we think. This is all. Look, nobody is, is, is giving. Five. No one's giving you an AK and saying like charge the German positions. If they are, <laughs> or charge them on Kata Barracks. If they yeah. are, you're on some other shit. That don't tell me. Shit. Don't tell me about it. it. Look, I just not on Mike. I saw the Lenin stuff, and I want to know what to do. So far, it's okay. I joined my local DSA in the and, South, man. I love that New Orleans DSA didn't come up with it, but they basically put this into common practice in DSA, the whole brake light clinic thing. I think it's brilliant. I mean, that that's an actual way where people are living their ideology. They're saying, no, 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 I'm serious about this. Simple thing. I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to give you a, a, a a little booklet or pamphlet and make you do homework on this. I'm just come in. I'm here to help you. That's my ideology later. DSA, in my opinion, and this is is probably kind of going to sound like a hot take, but I fucking mean this with my fucking chest. The brake light thing is the best thing DSA ever did. Period. That right there. Just just mutual aid, brake light, simple thing like that. And of course, of all places like Southern Louisiana, that would be the this viable thing. That would become this really popular viable thing. Um, there's a little, there's a tiny little uh, triangular plaza where they think they still do it in New Orleans. No, Nola DSA still does it. Um, so, so I'm Crookshank joining Shank Plaza. I want to say. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so I'm I'm joining the DSA and I'm learning. It doesn't have to be two car skills, but uh, I'm learning a skill that allows me to contribute to the community in a pro-social and just way. help people out in that little tiny way. Yeah, and go a long way. I'm stocking a, a a street fridge, you know, a community fridge. Right. Yeah. I'm That's just I'm doing the thing because I mean what I say. It makes I me say feel good, I mean and I'm doing it. That's I think that's the number one selling point. I really do to like everyday, normie, average people. Doing this tiny little thing to help people can make you feel so fucking good. Even in even just in the sense of you feel superior to others, <laughs> you feel more morally superior to others. That's kind of a high. But beyond that, some people never get past that point, and that's unfortunate. But sometimes you can yeah. even get past yeah, and but some people can even get past that of like. Oh my god! It's not even about me. It's like selfless. Whoa! And they they can get high off that even, right? People do talk about how feeling church for the first time at like a yeah. strike or at a yeah. march. Uh, absolutely, you mentioned that last time. Direct action of protest, yeah. But so uh, I'm in the DSA. It, it's do I 
campaign for Joe Biden when he's the nominee. Yeah, don't worry about. I, I would say to someone who like isn't confrontational in that way and doesn't keep up with the news and shit just like that, be a DSA guy. Basically, yeah, I was just like, yeah, just like be a be be like a helpful guy in DSA. Like, be like that helpful guy. Like, be that like guy who like does like the boring shit that like no one else wants to do and that kind of you know what I mean like try to be that guy if you can you can just you can just do like one thing a week or one thing a month or whatever but like yeah just try to be that helpful guy break lights baby you want to do all those things but not join the DSA or any organization in particular until you've decided what it is that you um are into just google mutual aid and then your city, wherever that is. And then you'll actually find it's much easier to find your politics based on the people who are doing the work that calls to you. And that's a way easier way to actually find an in. It's weird. I think in a w- you're right. And that is kind of the um, uh, free radical, free agent way of kind of like basically doing something like that, right? I do think that kind of the visuals and even like branding of DSA can kind of help people feel a little bit more comfortable and welcomed into like kind of a more formal structure that that works for some people and that doesn't work for others. Right. Some people just want to like, I just want to Google the thing and just find some, some folks, just find some dudes, you know, like whatever. Right. Um, so yeah, that's, a, that's a, like a whole other approach. Yeah. That, that's just some, approach. That's something I'm grappling with right now. It's just like the utility of like a party apparatus and groups that aren't like explicitly, uh, socialist, right? Because if mm-hmm. I can just Google mutual aid and help my community and then have my my conversations and get my five that way, then what are the people that are in DSA or Dems? Uh, what are, what was the value add doing it that route? Like what bit is going to be different? That's just something I'm, I'm thinking of, especially because I'm feeling particularly aggrieved <laughs> about the student loan thing. Let's go. Uh, just lightning round here on some some issues we'll probably do some news <laughs> lightning sound effects student loans pissed me off uh, a because biden went to miami and said he's going to forgive your student loans and uh then obviously didn't of course the whole reason you can't declare bankruptcy on those student loans is biden literally yep. making it that way he's been an enemy to to me financially <laughs> specifically and many many other people for a long time so i'm having a real hard time like getting myself to even like vote or be affiliated with the party when he's like explicitly not advocating in my interest. Now the student loan thing, I had Pell grants. I mm-hmm. am going to get forgiveness mm. and I think it's, I was net, worried about this. I think it's a, a net good. Uh, you know, uh, Christiana, you're getting forgiveness. The, like I know mm. people, that, yeah, I know. Holy shit. Yeah. Christiana going down to zero. I know Wait, people through, through the recent Biden thing or through the FSLA or the, the recent Biden thing. Okay. Put that on the mic. Hell yeah. yeah. So like inarguably a good that this happened inarguably. for a lot of people. I agree. But uh, it, where I'm at is, is a little bit like, okay, well, the forgiveness doesn't even cover the fucking interest. And as someone that wasn't middle class, someone where when I graduated high school, my parents were like, Good fucking luck. I don't know where you think. You think you got a secret college fund? No, there's no Santa Claus here. <laughs> Figure it out. Right? So, you know, people in my position, if you want to, if you believe in class mobility at all, or you just want to have a, a standard of living that allows you to buy groceries, mm-hmm. you know, going to college was one of the routes 
available and one that was really pushed like, oh, degree is a necessity uh, in, in a major way. So a lot of people, especially in my generation with tuitions going crazy, the only way out of me literally working fast food, which is what I was doing mm-hmm. uh, before I went to these schools, like the only way was loans. I guess there's the military, but physically because of my back disease, it's just that wasn't on the table. So like a lot of people have tons of debt and it's poor people that have had to take on more generally. They have less to contribute. They owe more. Yeah. And so it feels like if there is a societal problem that we, we've acknowledged this is a problem and it needs remedy, the student debt crisis, right? What the fuck is the point of this? It feels like if it's wrong, fix it. And if it's not wrong, then don't do anything, right? Like if we don't have a student debt crisis, then you don't have to do anything. That's essentially what the Dem position has been for a long time. And then a lot of grassroots pressure, it has to be said, got them to go like, okay, okay, there is a student debt crisis. There is a problem. We're not going to solve it, but we'll take a 5% stab at it. We'll throw you a fucking bone. And then say specifically as he has, this is a one-time thing. We're never doing this again. Right. It's like, okay, here's this great grassroots energy that immediately gets picked up by the Democratic Party to say, we're going to put just enough water on this fire to get you to go away. You'll be thankful that it happened. It'll legitimately help the most minimal band of people it possibly could, but be a a major gain for them. I'm very happy for them. But is it a problem or not? Does this actually change the underlying dynamics that that created the problem that got us here because I don't think it does. It's like the worst of both worlds. The right is going to be mad at you no matter what and see it as the most insane, illegal, unconstitutional, socialist giveaway that this country has ever ever seen. seen. And the left, the people actually looking at the material conditions are going to see, well, this just put a Band-Aid on an open wound. And now using it as an excuse to never do it again uh, that's the sort of like you'll take this shit and you'll like it that I I just I really have a hard time supporting right now. The big problem with it too is like okay like yes it's a it's a net good right like that's undeniable for what you said a small amount of people me included I had just under ten thousand dollars worth of loans left to repay those are all going to go down to zero. However, the problem there is that like. It could have been a net good that is more good for everyone with literally the same amount of effort. All you have to do is go in on the doc, like on the word doc and type in a different (laughs) number. And then he just signs it with the same pen, like literally same amount of effort. And the only reason that they really actually did it is because up until about a month ago, they thought that they were going to get their asses handed to them in the midterms, which they still might. But that's changing um, just because of all of the inflation and Donald Trump being fucking crazy. Um, it turns out that it might actually be a little bit, but like a little bit more um, close than we imagined it to be. But like that really was just like a one-off, like here's your 10K so that you can vote for us, but we're never doing it again. And it's like, you could have ju- you could have just canceled all of it. Like the right was going to be, like you said, like the right was going to be mad at you regardless. So you might as well have just done the thing. But it's the Democratic Party. They were never going to in the first place. 
Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, okay, so if you were part of the Democratic Party, and again, this came externally, this pressure, but if, if you're part of the Democratic Party and and pushing for this, you, you still have to see this decision as a purely political one. This was not made to fix a societal ill. It was made to fix a momentary electoral problem for the continued existence and thriving of the Democratic Party. I don't know. It, it Paul, it, it feels to me... It just feels to me like there's a whole bunch of people drowning, and then old Joe Biden came by. Why does he always sound cool in these? When people drive through? Old Joe Biden came by in his speedboat and was like, "Oh, looks like you're drowning," and he pulled out the hot big titty girl in the Budweiser bikini. It was you know drowning with the rest of us, but the most appealing uh, demo there put her on the boat and was like, "Yep, oh well, we're out of room," and sped away, never to return. It's like, well, what about? Look, it's great that this helped a lot of people and in, in, that had small debt amounts and and you know a, allowed people to gain a little bit more financial freedom. But the way it was means tested and the way it was done, it it feels like somehow this is going to be like a net loss by the end of it. Like whatever gains are made are going to be complete are going to be eaten up by the same running predatory machine that got us here and current inflation too. Yeah. So where are you on student loans? Well, I. Luckily, I don't have any, and I, don't, I, I can't say I have a personal dog in the fight. I'll just do, use that as a disclaimer. Um, but um, in my experience uh, with, with the college I went to, my Afrocentric education. Uh, uh, was at, that FAMU? <laughs> yeah, FAMU. That's correct, yes. One thing I, I – literally everyone I know with the worst student debt is black. Every single person I know. And um, every organizer in Florida, at least, that I know – that has gone up to D.C. and marched about this shit, and they're doing it again in October, by the way. They are not letting up on the pressure with this shit because October is when people can start applying for this thing, and that's perfect timing then for another fucking march. I mean, like, it's like, it's good to see at least some of the factions in this fight, probably all the progressive factions, uh, organizations in this fight, um, they're not letting the pressure up. That they're uh, they're already organizing. I was I missed a call actually about it just yesterday with Dream Defenders. But yeah, they're still gonna stay on it. They're gonna get a bunch of buses and drive people up from Florida and other organizations wherever they're from. They're gonna go to DC and march some more, and then turn right turn the buses right back around and go home. I mean, like you know, it's the pressure's not staying off. That's one thing I want to tell people who are sort of underwhelmed, and I understandably you know underwhelmed is that. The pressure is going to stay on. There are, there are grassroots organizations that are going to like keep it on because they know full well uh, whether it's because of Bernie or because they know the law. Yeah, but this pressure came about out of a political – the pressure was an electoral one in, in this case actually uh, that threatened the, the, the Democrats' relative power there. Not that they always need power to be like controlled opposition, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but – the, the pressure came from people threatening to abstain from participation, even voting for, for Dems. Mm. So it's like... I, so I like know. holding your vote ransom or whatever. That was functionally what they were worried about. Yeah. Right? That's what caused the, the giveaway. Not, not like... I mean, look, lobbying's good, marches is good and all that, but people could be marching all day. We saw with police reform. You could be marching all day and then still go back to the same policies uh, after some lip service. Yeah, but I think keeping the temperature up is still important. I mean, I, I still think like keeping the pressure on is still important, uh, even if it's like hoping against hope. You know, I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, like, what do you? What that do you, that was what do you a, do? that was a pressure of abstaining there. This is, again, that's just what's on my mind right now. Trying to like, am I just aggrieved at the student loan thing? Did 
fucking nothing for me and I'm particularly bitter at Democrats right now? Or am I doing material analysis that seems to indicate that the levers of change, uh, they don't seem to work uh, so much anymore except through a, a lack of participation with the Democratic Party? I think the 10 and 20K thing, of course, by itself, I I think that's got to be underwhelming, but except for uh, Poppy here, I guess. But um, I think also some of the finer print and the finer details of the action actually could long term could be a pretty big deal. It could also be a big deal. Like, like it's already sunsetting. It, it just. Well, I, that's the application. You said that's the application thing. I don't know. See, I, you're the one that's actually up against it. I don't. Yeah, it's just the application period for all these like, you know what? We'll even count some. Uh, some payments, if you had misses in there, we'll put that towards your total paid for public service loan forgiveness, all this stuff. Even in the version that you have access to up to October, uh, it's going to be so limited, the number of people versus the number that yeah. have need That's of this true. relief. And it's just like... It's the second biggest loan, what is the second biggest debt load of any kind of debt in the United States. Only second only to medical debt. Uh, it's it just it it's frustrating. This feels this feels less like you know uh, progressive Democrats won an accomplishment uh, through pressure and feels more like they're just throwing water on what was a growing fire, right? Uh, in order to temporarily give themselves a boost. I mean, I guess the answer to that is just more pressure, more organizing. But again, just stuck on this dem thing. How do you feel about the? Uh, it looks like we might not have a rail strike. Right. Is that disappointing to you? A little. I mean, we do have a treat-based economy. I, I like my treats. Everyone likes their treats. Sure You're not going to get your fucking treats if you live in the middle of the country and you rely on rail, trucking or rail, to um, yeah, to get your treats. Uh, <laughs> sorry to keep saying treats. Treats. Um, That's cool. We can put that up there with stochastic and prurient <laughs> and, on and, the and episode word of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, it's funny, actually, the reason rail has had so much pressure on it lately to ship stuff to mostly like the middle of the country is because gas prices are still, are still pretty high. And tr- so trucking's more expensive. And there, of course, there are fewer truckers on the road than there because uh, COVID killed so many fucking essential workers. Um, so that's why I think the Biden administration was really hopping to it to try and control this thing. Uh, because trucking is more expensive than it's ever been and less reliable than it's ever been. And so, but the rails are always there. That's the infrastructure, right? Um, it's, I was, so I was saying earlier off mic that the only railroad worker I've ever actually talked to that's like done this job is Sturgill Simpson. <laughs> I being a music writer, I got to like just either meet or actually interview like people like this. And I uh, heard his episode of the Trillbillies and he mentioned it in this event uh, of his that I went to and this concert of his that I went to here in New York. And um, man, I mean, just like the, I mean, it's like grapes of wrath shit, <laughs> like working outside when you're like a grunt, like being paid like 30 bucks an hour, maybe you're making great money for the rural area you live in, but you're like beaten down in the sun all day. It really seems like one of those industries, uh, pilots actually, their union just got a huge new deal, so we might actually have some pilots that aren't just like gacked up on two hours sleep doing way too many hours. Yeah. Um, But like pilots for a long time had difficulty where if you want to get into aviation, the industry kind of got you. You know, like there's not many places you can go, and so they suffer like low pay, low benefits, all that sort of thing. 
being someone that works in like the train industry, mm. I, they kind of got you, right? Like if you want to be a if train guy, if you're a train guy, right? Being right. a conductor is miserable. I mean, as no, I'm not. The, the working that they're on call all the time. They have no leave. I mean, well, it's not conductors. You're using the wrong term, and that's fine because none of us know really know this industry. But like, well, because I'm using conductors because right now we don't know if they're necessarily going to reach an agreement. But the three out of the twelve remaining unions that had not reached an agreement and thus could were, still trigger the strike were, were specifically the conductors. Okay, I didn't know that. Okay, that's interesting yeah. because there's like rail switch operators and then engineers is like one step up from like some dude in like a little box like do literally just like doing this apparently is a thing still he's, he's doing sort of a lever switching motion yes um, not not a wanking motion like you've been doing no i've been doing uh, that a lot <laughs> um but like the actually i just want to and... listener i just so you know i have not actually been wanking during this podcast <laughs> i find that doing a three-hour uh podcast with your friend where you just riff aimlessly is yeah. really masturbatory enough it really is it, it would render the physical sort of superfluous why are we doing this um <laughs> it's fun it's you know i just i really bottom line is not just our movement but and and i think it it is sympathetic outside our movement people who work in a job without fucking air conditioning i'm sorry i just think that inherently this country with the dictionary definition of working class, the idea that it's manual labor, right? That's what working class is supposed to be, the, the literal, like, dictionary definition, people who don't work in air conditioning, construction workers, et cetera. Um, I think that does inherently get some respect, just even from, like, the macho notions of this country, right? Gendered, all that shit. But, like, um, I don't know. I mean, if I will, I will say, like, if, the, if there is a full-on railroad strike, I mean especially people in the middle of the country and long trip Amtrak trips. I don't know anyone who's like, who's, I don't think I know many people who's done those, but yeah, that shit's fucked. Like <laughs> if we had a road strike, we, we would have a, a lot of the country would be over a barrel. Yeah. That's sort of, I mean, I have no position in this. I'm not a principal. I, I wish them the absolute best uh, with this. I hope there isn't a strike, but then I really, I caught myself thinking like, well, maybe, I mean, a national strike of real significance. I don't think it's going to happen now. It's looking like it's not. Like it's looking like it's not. Uh, again, no reason that a strike should have to happen, given that they're just fighting over like basic vacation benefits and sick leave. Sick leave. Can I go to a doctor without eight months advance? Without, without fear, I'm going to get fired. The smallest amount of, of dignity. Just pe- just dignity. Yeah. It's not even about pay. They're paid pretty so, well. So they're going to... Management's going to buckle here, I think, especially because I don't think they can rely on the government to strike break in the way they would in like the eighties and nineties. Right. There's just with Patco, yeah, yeah. So I, I just I'm curious. I find myself thinking like I can't affect it. Do I want to see a strike or do I not? Like if if I'm a socialist, it's dumb to root for things. I mean, I should just observe it. But I found I felt a grimy sort of like. Yeah, if there was a fucking strike, that would be the national story is these workers being exploited and how disgusting the terms of disagreement are right now and how petty they are, how, how small, how like immensely attainable they are. Uh, do you find yourself disappointed that there's not going to be a strike? Uh, yeah, uh, because I, if not It's going to hurt else, so many people. I mean, it it's would. crippling. It would, but I, at part of a confrontational part of me, Wants to see rubber meeting the road, uh, you know, Joe 
Missouri, uh, Joe Public from Missouri. Uh, I can't get my, you know, shit at Walmart, XYZ at Walmart because uh, of the rail. Well, these guys can't literally can't get a day of sick leave to go see a doctor. And it's like fucking with their health and their basic life. life. Like, um, doesn't that make you mad? Like, can you like hold out for a little while, dude? And I want to, and I, I suspect Joe Public would be like, maybe a little while they'd put up with it, maybe. But after a while, they're like, I want my treats or I want my, you know, uh, disposable fucking broom or whatever the fuck you buy at Walmart. But that could be fine. Like, then the the workers get their get their benefits and everyone gets one of those little Occupy Wall Street moments that says the American imagination, as narrow as it is, can incorporate things that they see at least once in front of them and seeing like, wait a second, I hate my fucking boss who's a real son of a bitch. Yeah. And now I see these rail guys. And you know what? There's a lot of soy lib cucks out there, but I'm pretty sure men work in the rails. The men work in the rails. Yeah, that appeal, that angle. Yeah, I wonder about that. If it went for a week, I think it would probably... It would probably do some good in terms of like right. solidarity right. and people realizing their power and what's possible. But then I always I just get caught up on man, it would just hurt so many people. Well, but that that's just what I get caught up on this is this is like people uh, standing in the middle of the highway to to protest, right? Like it, it's you're yeah. on the protesters' side, and it's that counter revolutionary or reactionary. Like what about the ambulance thing, right? This this country is allergic to collective struggle, and and not only allergic but just like actively has active animosity to collective struggle. I mean, looking back in history, all these supposedly, you know, very, we remember nobly the civil rights movement. This country remembers nobly, if it remembers it at all, the labor movement. What's nobly? In a noble way. Oh, no. Okay. I thought that was weird. I thought that was one of those civil rights acronyms, you know? (laughs) I I, I was trying to learn that. It's lionized in history. These certain movements of the past, right? Got you. But at the time, those movements were often deeply unpopular by the general, you know, by the general public, very often. And, um, I mean, like, imagine, God, like, imagine even here in, oh, uh, I learned this recently in this, at the Museum of the City of New York, the City Museum here. I learned that the Village Voice, at the time the Stonewall riot happened, which is generally looked back on favorably, at least by, like, libs. But at the time, even the Village Voice made fun of the Stonewall riots. Like, at the time, the the issue of the Village Voice, like, I read that, and I, like, my jaw dropped. I couldn't believe it. But it's just like, yeah, I guess they should, by now, I should expect that. You know what? That makes me think, sort of, that, like, the people that would put up the most, like, resistance and, uh, you know, the arguments against, like, civil disobedience, Stonewall, that sort of stuff, Mm -hmm. they're already not on your side, so there's no winning them over anyway. So I guess just, yeah, fucking do it. The, the action is the good thing. We like to think ourselves as a nation of individuals that as long as we just all do our thing and don't, like, hurt or kill each other, it'll be fine. But, and that's why we're so allergic to collective struggle, basically. Uh, at least in the moment, right? Um, and so this is why I kind of fundamentally am so skeptical of a rail, of a meaningful rail strike actually like, really moving anything because... I don't know. It's just like people just want what they want. They're, we're selfish as a resting pulse in this country is just selfish. Yeah, but... And I, disconnected. I've decided now it's not happening, but I was rooting for it. Because, I kind of was. Yeah. Because, yeah, like Stonewall, like, like Occupy, like any of these things, like any of those things, like it is disruptive. People aren't going to like it, but 
I think it expands the imagination. All right, so let's uh, wrap up here. Uh, before we do absolute mega lightning round, that was uh, this. It's like the that was Joe short Rogan. answer. That was like short essay, right? This is like the Paul de Revere experience. <laughs> it really is. Um, number one, just. Paul's right and that we're like allergic to collective struggle because like what you said, Rob, with the, um, oh, like a strike would be good, but it would hurt so many people. That happens in France literally like eight times a year. And every time the busers go on strike in Paris, everyone goes, man, this fucking sucks. I have to walk like three miles to work. I hope they give them their pay raise so that I have to stop so that I can stop walking to work. Also, what you said about people who, Paul, what you said about people who work without air conditioning and how there's like a limited amount of base respect for those people. And as you said, it's gendered. It's only generally speaking for those specific gendered roles in like work without air conditioning. Like, yeah, people have these like fun ideas about, um, like the working class manly macho man who does construction and the longshoremen and the railmen and they're like oh like from the right it's like oh this is like a man's job we need more of these manly men in the world and then like from the left it's like oh yeah these are like real labor jobs with unions and representation and people working with their bodies for the good of the country but like or the good of humanity, but also like no one gives a shit about the women who work in no air conditioning. The like some of the most exploited people in this country work in the LA garment district and they're all women Mm. sitting over sewing machines for 16 hours a day in no air conditioning and they don't have union representation. The majority of them don't speak English and no one gives a shit about them. It's all the women who work cleaning everybody's houses without air conditioning because while you're home, while you're at work, they come into your home and clean your fucking house with no air conditioning on because you don't want to spend the air conditioning while you're not home, because why would you do that? And no one gives a shit about those women either. And so like, there is a, like what you said is like, that just like struck a chord with me of like, Oh, there's like the gendered thing of like, there's like that base respect. And there's only the base respect oftentimes for like the non air conditioned workers when they're male coded jobs, as opposed to the female ones. They aren't, they are envisioned that way. And you made you, you hit at some good intersections that I didn't, uh, really think about. So thank you. This motherfucker just thanked you for your intersectionality. Get a load of this fucking DSA ass guy. Uh, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm very empathetic and considerate and woke. That's right. And he's single, ladies. Ladies, think, right? Ladies, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. I I have no hopes for. You're ever, ready for that forever. dumb and awful pussy coming at you. <laughs> the bump, getting the dumb and awful. You're gonna bump. learn a lot about Fallout New Vegas. <laughs> Uh, so, so last thing here, mega lightning round. Just something I want to get a stat I saw. So we're just going to talk about two countries real quick. Just let me know what you think. Yeah, that's all people want to know in this three-hour Paul de Revere experience. We, I feel we, bad for y'all. No, the, the, look, I once spent like eight hours reading a Joe Biden magazine cover to cover. I remember that. Oh fuck, that was awful. Yeah, it, it, was, it wasn't good for anybody involved, but. Shit, did I block that out? There are people that made it through, you know? So if you can out-compete a hagiographic gas station Joe Rogan magazine, I think Joe Biden, you just said Joe Rogan? That's awesome. I would actually read a a gas station hagiographic Joe Rogan magazine. 
I want to hear about Fear Factor. There, there, there would be like 30 pages alone on Fear Factor. What was yeah. it like working with uh, Phil Hartman on news radio? <laughs> I would much prefer that to the Biden one. So just... just uh, Riding with Rogan. All right. So look, they're here and they're, they're listening and they're on the edge of their seat for your take here. Yes. Uh, the U.S. dropped out of the top 50 in life expectancy. Mm. Uh, every country above us has a public option for health insurance. Uh, of a publicly funded healthcare system, not some of them, not most of them, literally every single one in the top 50. Yeah. Uh, we have now fallen behind the motherfucking red dragon. China has just surpassed us. I, it looks like they now have a 77 year life expectancy. We're down to 76. Mm. Um, Paul, uh, China question mark. They, they seem to take care of their terracotta warriors better than we do our human beings. So, like, I, I understand. That's a very low bar. Where are you at on the nation of China? Make it snappy. Go. China's fucking based. They're fucking. They're, it's communism with Chinese characteristics. What more do you fucking want? What's that mean? Poppy Chulo just said socialism. That's right. Chinese. It's it's a communist party politically, whatever. But she owned you. You it's, said it's, you said the true. wrong socialism it's, thing. It's and uh, market socialism, uh, state capitalism. Yeah. Can you uh, can you thank you can you thank her for yes, th- making you, you do a self crit? Thank you, Poppy. Thank there. you, Poppy, for you're getting me. intersectionality. You're I'm getting, getting so much pussy off this podcast. Self crit. Um, no. Um, Is that a fitted shirt or your biceps just naturally pushing through them as you're carrying? <laughs> A huge stack of, of Engels texts. That's right. Uh, li- I lift. I lift my books. Um, no, I mean like fucking. Of course, this is where it begins, right? Uh, this is the beginning of the Chinese century, straight up. I mean, I'm not. I'm not at all saying. I'm not saying every action the Chinese government takes is a fucking great fucking idea. But like, well, now you're going to be censored on Chinese on Weibo. Yeah, yeah, you're going to be censored yeah. on Chinese internet. But you I mean, wouldn't be allowed to say that in China. The collective struggle, the fundamental collective struggle, though, of Chinese society, they're going to fucking kick our ass this century. Are you fucking kidding me? The entire West. They're going to kick our fucking ass. Why? Because of collective struggle. You're stronger together. We in this country are a bunch of, what, what, I don't remember who coined the term temporarily embarrassed millionaires. I can't remember. Who, maybe it was Bailey, Martin Bailey, or uh, F.W. Bailey or something. Or, sorry, P.T. Barnum, I mean. Um, but... Um, yeah, I mean, we're just a bunch of like, like we talk about how Miami's like a flex capital, like that's yeah. kind of this country. And so we're all just so obsessed, like trying to one up each other in some way or flex on each other or whatever. Meanwhile, China is like banding together, building incredible infrastructure, incredible trains. Sorry to be a DSA train guy, but awesome trains, awesome tech. What, you know, what about Belt their, Road? What about yeah. their trains is so sexy? The magnetism. It m- makes my dick magnetically attracted to them. <laughs> No, That's I mean cool. just, they're just cool. They're just fucking cool. I don't know. I think the I think in, through Shanghai. I think Shanghai. I uh, can't remember the Shanghai Maglev or whatever. Fastest trains in the world. You know that whole thing. Overtook the TGV, the TGV in France. Um, you know stuff like that. That's I mean, the that's one from cool. James Bond. Yes, it is. Well, no, Mission Impossible. Is it the original I, I Mission Impossible? I don't know. The, I'm just agreeing with you. The the pedophile guy from Leon the Killer. I haven't yeah. seen it. I assume that's... Yeah, the professional, yeah. It, look, that's one of those things where the movie trailer, I'm like, this is not for me. <laughs> I'm sure this is a great movie. I don't want anywhere near these vibes. No, thank you. No, but I mean, he goes through a, a T, TGV tunnel. But, I mean, but China, it's, it's the... It, this century is... The 21st century is the Chinese century, period. 
I just, so you're like, like it's clearly nothing but up, nothing but going. So up. as I just tend to my mind palace and establish my rooting interest, you're like, yeah, be a China guy. Yeah, For I sure. move, dude. Like you're like that. That's like they're doing socialism. Like you're not a, a cynic on that. Goddamn dangus state capitalist. What uh, they have done with COVID has been ap- I'm not. I'm not exaggerating. I'm. I'm being so painfully sincere here. What China has done with COVID is straight up heroic. You mean killing a million Americans? <laughs> yeah, damn fucking right. <laughs> they China did nine eleven. Um, no, I, I hope so. Uh, you no, hope but China did nine eleven. I hope they fucking that would rule. <laughs> I will say if if they did, they, pulled, they pulled it off. That's I was, off. Baby. I wasn't even looking. I had at, no idea. Yeah. I was not even looking in that direction. Um, no, man. I mean, just like what they do with COVID zero. What Q, and also it's not just China that I gave hats off to. New Zealand even being like a non-communist, you know, society or non-socialist society or whatever. What New Zealand did, what uh, what Cuba, another pivoting back to like a lefty society. Like um, there are just some countries that actually like gave a shit. Basically, we did not. We never really did. Um, and it's in a weird, fucked up, like Faustian way. COVID was almost like the ultimate test of individualism. Individualism. Uh, sorry. The individual obsessed individualism obsessed societies, um, it's kind of like the ultimate downfall. Kind of, I mean, a, a flu pandemic. It's kind of like the ultimate test of an individualist versus a collectivist society. It showed that we lack the capacity to have a collective struggle or response. It's like a dumb to and anything. awful thing. Either we're dumb and or, we have right. such system fragility hollowed out by the the pressures of capitalism that we, oops, turns out we thought we could and 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 we can't. Right. Or it's awful and it just laid bare what are actual priorities. I think this was radicalizing for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Even if you get apart from like Even the mask, sister. vaccine shit, if you just get to like, oh, wait a second, we're, it was the Delta guy that got the period of, of rest post COVID from 10 to five days, right? Everything has been about the market, getting people back to work. Like it really has a, apparently been to people that don't pay that much attention, kind of just like a mass Aztec sacrifice. To for the, the economy. Uh, Dan, let me just... pa- Dan Patrick, the Texas lieutenant governor, he straight up said it. Some things are, I think, I think the exa- one of the poll quotes was, there are more important things than being alive. And uh, if we have to sacrifice, sometimes, you know, if you have to sac- your grand- sacrifice your grandparents for the economy, that's just how it goes. I'm paraphrasing, but. That's, that's that Cuomoism. He straight Cuomo-ism. up kind of said that kind of thing. And way. we did that. And we did do that. We did do that. I would just like to quickly do some self-crit and say that. I just did an example of when white people do something, you go like, what are we, the other group? The Aztecs did s- sacrifice people, but I'm pretty sure they never knocked out like a million in like a year and a half. So I think we we have to own this one. Sorry, Aztecs. I'm doing an uh, apologia for the Aztecs. Can I have a, a really sincere moment just to like maybe cap this off? I don't know. Yeah. Um, it was... Was that June of last year or September? I think it was September of last year when we uh, we ran into each other. And, uh, that pod damn America. That's right. 9-11 Eve. Sweet boys, Sweet all boys. of them. Uh, we, uh, I, with, a, with a Jewish friend of mine, I went to uh, a memorial gathering of, of for COVID dead at, in Prospect Park, outdoors, spaced out, masks, like to the, to the nines, like, Good COVID behavior. That's going to be a weird place to be lax about COVID protections, I imagine. Yeah. 
And so the, you may have heard of this super progressive temple, uh, virtual temple that Brad Lander belongs to. I think it's called Cholot Hayenu. And so me and a Jewish friend of mine, we went to this thing and for the, f- I'm going to get emotional talking about it, but like it do it. Yeah. But it, um, I saw people holding up picture frames and phones when the rabbi instructed them to show the loved ones you lost. And I had never seen that in person until that moment. And my buddy, my Jewish buddy, David, who's also a socialist in DSA here. And we were sitting next to each other and I'm whispering to him as softly as I can, not to like bother other people in this very intense emotional moment. And I'm sitting next to them. Like I kind of, I like, very vaguely motioned to all the people holding up whatever their frames and their phones. And I said to him, like they were all sacrificed on the altar of the market. I just whispered him like very softly and we're both crying, staining our masks and shit. And that was the first moment. I think all this got brought into emotional stark relief of everything that's been happening. And I, most of the country has not, you know, and they never will like, Come, reconcile with what's happened and is still happening. I hope to God that we are like in this tail end of it where becoming endemic, it's a lot less lethal, you know, and over time, a lot fewer people will die. A lot fewer people will go to the hospital and get sick. I hope, I hope, I hope, but, um, but we have to, even if it's just our movement, right? We have to reconcile fully emotionally, viscerally reconcile with the fact that, this country is throwing a million and counting people, human beings, old, mostly old, essential workers, immunocompromised, disabled, what have you. Um, mostly people of color, right? Um, we threw them on the pyre, on the proverbial pyre, and we just have to reconcile and not look away and not try to like rationalize it or ignore it or just not, not look at it. We really have to really face it that that's what happened, and we have to be able to stand at a COVID memorial ceremony. They're going to be, of course, fewer and further in between as we go forward, right? But we as human beings, forget socialists, forget comrades, forget all that. Just as an individual human being, we have to be able to stand around other human beings and say, I lost my mother to COVID. I lost my mother and father to COVID. I lost my grandmother, my kid, you know, to COVID. I mean, we have to like look that shit in the eye. I just think our movement at least has to be able to do that. And that was a huge, huge moment for me like this time last year. And I just, it's hard for me to, I just get so emotional just even thinking about that moment. It really does hammer home what the stakes of it are. Like that, that's why I, it's, it's irritating and not always like fun to like, like look at, look, look at the machine like directly Mm-hmm. And see that no, this isn't actually like a uh, horse race, team politics. Like, is is you know, Stacey Abrams going to have enough of a war chest to? <laughs> yeah. Like the stakes literally are a million dead in your lifetime, yeah. in, in in your college experience, yeah. in, in a very brief period of time. New York's walking the streets of New York City. I'm so glad I wasn't in New York at that time. But part of me was just I was. It was wild. Walking past freezer trucks of dead fucking bodies. And I'm just like, if you had that experience, I would like to think any ordinary person, if they had that experience, all of a sudden, boom, something's going to snap. 
maybe radicalization, maybe at least just like not be willing to take so much shit from your boss or whatever, you know, but like, but it's just so crazy to think that there are people out there in the world that can have that experience of walking, <sighs> walking across a trailer of dead fucking bodies or seeing the footage of Hearts Island and they just kind of go on with their life as normal. Their thinking is normal. That, I can't even comprehend that. Just going, oh, it's fine. La, 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 you know, la, la, la. It's a I lot to know. contend. That's, that's what the American experience, that's what all yeah. the incentives in place, that is who we're trained to be. It's a hell of a task. Um, and I think we probably got 99% of the way to figuring it all out tonight. That's right. <laughs> so, Paul, thank you for the swinging by. Thanks. The, uh, thanks for having me. The Poppy, thanks for having K- me. Kensington Central Committee here. That's right. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I, I really appreciate it. It's uh, Paul De Revere. What's your Twitter at? Uh, P D Revere uh, at P D Revere on Twitter. P D like P the letter D, not D. It's P D E P D E and then Revere. There you go. All right, Paul. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. <laughs>